Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Be Good and Rewatch It, a Waypoint podcast where we take a close look at movies and television and examine their themes, craft, and relationship to our own times. And first, I must tell you, I do. I do like the 1995 BBC Pride and Prejudice miniseries of Jennifer Eileen and Colin Firth. I love it. Indeed, it has no improper adaptation decisions. It's perfectly amiable. It is truly the best Austin adaptation I ever, have ever known. And today we're saying goodbye to it. But first, I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined for this final episode, for real this time, I promise, final episode of our Pride and Prejudice uh, two-parter miniseries. Uh, first, by Natalie Watson. Uh, um, good day. And You're from Austin the Australian Walker. contingent. <laughs> I just, you know, I will say I didn't always love Pride and Prejudice, but... I love it now so very dearly. It is truly the best show I've ever known. <laughs> uh, we also have our producer, Kato, working the boards. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, Kato. I'm glad we've all had a Darcy, uh, a Jane to Darcy arc with our, well, mm-hmm. Austin seems like your your love of Pride and Prejudice has made a... Um, I was just saying a thing from the show slash book. I always like Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> I never didn't like Thanks this show. Thanks for ruining my bit by supporting your bit even wow. more. Just reinforcing your bit and ruining mine. That's the most Darcy thing I could do. Well, are you Waypoint's Darcy? Probably. I'm moody. You are. I don't like talking in public, but like I'm good at it, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, nice things come to me that I don't deserve. <laughs> like Just like Darcy. I live in a castle. I don't live in a castle. <laughs> I'm not rich. Waypoint is your castle. You're yeah. a lord. I'm not a lord. <laughs> editor in chief is basically a no, lord. No, no. Sadly, editor in chief is more of a commission. <laughs> and that is the problem. That's in a militia or a northern regiment. It's it's a northern regiment. They fucking put oh, me dear. far away. <laughs> it's bad. Thankful, and you know what? We've dealt with some motherfucking Wickhams around this place. We sure have. Over the years, and thankfully, they out. They out. <laughs> all the ones, all the Wickhams I know, out of my fucking life. <laughs> Which is where we left off the last episode with uh, the now Wickhams, uh, Wickham himself and Lydia, uh, leaving with an au revoir uh, for, for their fate with a northern regiment. Uh, and we get a sequence of life at Longbourn returning to normal uh, as summer fades into early autumn. And it is both, I think, presented as a bit of a peaceful relief, but also there's a melancholy in the sequence because 
now their lives can't fully go back to normal. They will never be content as they were before this entire series started because they've glimpsed other possibilities, other lives they might have led. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're sort of reconciling themselves to the fact that those possibilities may be foreclosed to them. But wait, what is that I hear? Could it be distant hunting horns, which is the musical cue the series has been using for Mr. Bingley? Uh, yes, we he, he's back. Uh, Netherfield is let once again. And we get a uh, sequence of Netherfield being reoccupied. And it's a small, it's a, it's a, it's a quick beat. But um, it really is striking the degree to which it feels like a party of very rich people arrive like an occupying force. Yeah, it, at at a country estate, it's mm. it's an interesting sequence. I thought. Yeah, yeah, just the amount of like preparation that you know uh, uh, goes into into hosting these parties or uh, uh, contingencies of of wealthy <laughs> men is like, oh shit, this is an ordeal. Like the fact that. You're not just like dropping your bags down. Like the whole house is getting readied up. The whole town is talking about it. Mm-hmm. People are like, yo, yo, yo. Are you gabbing? What's happening over here? <laughs> yeah, what's happening just now? What is that? What was that? Yo, yo, yo. That's not a dab. It's not a dab. It's not a dab. It's not a yeet. It ain't a yeet. It ain't a yeet. It ain't a yeet. It's just a it yo. Is. It's a yo. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> anyway, that's what all the townspeople were like. It's like a they non-committal were. It's a non. Yeah. Uh, those are the only type of dabs I engage in. <laughs> I non-committal video dabs. Proof to the contrary. Kato says he video proof to the contrary. I plead the fifth. <laughs> um, but we have that sequence of like dozens of servants coming oh, yeah. in, bringing yeah. in like the groceries, like they're preparing for a siege. Uh, you know, the the there is <laughs> once again smoke rising from the chimney, yes. like Netherfield just picked a new pope. Uh, it's like it's just kind of an incredible thing the degree to which uh the arrival of the very wealthy to the country state is like uh you know royalty being in residence uh, but like, in this case was there like a scout that was like waiting to see the chimney ri- the chimney smoke rise and was like a bell that they were ringing to <laughs> alert the town that the wealthy had well, there, come back there was uh it's uh sort of a a sort of grasping climber like Mrs. Phillips. Yes, uh, Which exactly. is Mrs. Bennett's sister. Uh, she's the one who immediately brings the news back to Longbourn that Bingley is back in the country uh, and everyone needs to be on full alert because we, by God, we are going to try and get this, get this marriage to happen. But Jane has been burned and yeah. Yeah. is uh, not sure how she feels. Hate to see it. She seems just, she seems like she's made peace, honestly, is like the whole thing. It's mm. like after London, after after all of the shenanigans when they were in, uh, you know, at Netherfield and then, you know, going, making the sort of romantic move to to go to London and, and hope to encounter uh, Bingley and everything and that coming to... Um, you know, a very disappointing close. I feel like Jane has just honestly made her peace with it and has yeah. like fully just, okay, we can mm. move on. Like if I do, like, I don't think she was expecting to ever see him again. 
And the fact that he's back now, her approach is much more like, okay, he will be back in society. We will see each other at balls. Clearly, there's nothing here that, you know, clearly we don't have a connection. And so it's just it's time to to just be amicable and move on as friends. And seems like she's just accepted that yeah, I think for she's, herself. She still seems a little shook, right? Like there's there is like Elizabeth does a lot of like emotional support via glance and right. touch and like, hey, we're gonna get through this yeah. style vibes. Um and then of course Mrs. Bennett is immediately causing plotting. not only plotting, but complaining about how little the Bennett got out of the Wickham marriage in the public sphere. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's I can't imagine being Jane in this moment where it's like, okay, I don't know that I can do this again. And then immediately you're like, this is not the this is not the situation that I ever dreamed of this happening again in. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's a lot to deal with. Yeah. It definitely seems like an overwhelming situation to be in. Yeah. I also is this also the first time that Lizzie and Darcy will have been in the same place since he right. told strings to work out the mm-hmm. the the uh Lydia stuff. Right, which she is not well, she's just become aware of, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Because yeah. Lydia she got, she got the letter. Like, yes, you're right. Right, yes. right, right. Okay. It's been a minute. Um, I'm like, I have to get my head right around some of this stuff yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I don't know. I, I think it's it's a very good performance that uh, Susanna Harker, I think, uh, gives here as Jane. She sort of tries to walk the line of, she's genuinely somebody, I think, who is trying to be guarded, who has convinced herself she has moved on and she's at peace with this. Uh, but also... Lizzie's definitely teasing her a little bit or definitely thinks there's more to it than this. Of course, what Lizzie knows is that because I don't I'm not sure Lizzie is at like actually brought Jane up to speed that she saw Bingley over right. the summer right. and right. picked right. up that like he was still thinking about her a lot. And so there's this weird uh, like asymmetry of information here where Lizzie's kind of teasing Jane a little bit. And I think viewing yeah. the scene through Jane's eyes, I feel a little bit bad for Jane because I think. Jane has gone to has done a lot of work to get to this point where mm-hmm. she can think about Bingley being around and not be like on pins and needles or hurt. Yeah. Uh, and Lizzie, who has reason to think that maybe something bigger and better is in the offing here, uh, can't help but sport with Jane just a little bit, uh, you know, and sisterly teasing. But I think it is it's a believable moment. I think Lizzie is sometimes not completely sensitive to the delicacy of Jane's feelings. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think well, part of it is when you go back to the moment that she learns about Wickham and Lydia, a lot of – at the point right before that, she was like, ah, I it, it all worked out. Darcy and me, this is cool, and I bet I can repair the Bingley situation too. Right. And then the Wickham stuff blows up. And if you remember the way that she kind of frames that immediately is like, well, everything is lost mm-hmm. now. Um, and part of that includes some fault of her own for not having snipped the Wickham stuff in the bud and gone more public with it. Right. Understanding the breadth of his, like, of his misdeed. Um, 
And so I wonder – so I, I kind of read – a lot of it is like she goes quiet about the possibility of Bingley still being on the table. But she doesn't think Bingley is on the table because of the Wickham Association. Right. And because she suspects that at this point, like this is the final straw for Darcy who may have come back to, you know, to to flirt with her a bunch. And maybe they had some some great time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in his massive castle. Uh, but <laughs> there is a degree to which – it's my new video game coming out this fall, Massive Castle. It's a sequel to Massive Chalice. Um, but <laughs> – the it feels like it was a sore spot th- that she felt some blame for, mm-hmm. and then in learning that Darcy was part of the solution to the Wickham stuff, yeah, has like in her own mind done the work of being like, and that means Bingley might be back on on the table, yeah, but hasn't actually found the moment to say that to Jane, right? And is being Lizzie, it's being Lizzie. You're right, like yeah. she just has this nature that is like teasing and likes to know a little bit more about what's what the what the state of the play is, right. And then other people, you know, on the field, so to yeah. speak. I think that just speaks to, like, her confidence in mm. the uh, future of Bingley and Jane's relationship. Like, she knows if if Bingley is back in, in uh, back at Netherfield, Bingley didn't come back for no reason. Yeah. Like, she, she's, like, astute enough and at least um, knows that pre the Wickham situation, Bingley's feelings were still around. And so, yeah, I think you're right, Austin, that seeing the potential of, you know, Mr. Darcy having an involvement in the Wickham thing and knowing that Bingley has never been bothered by the difference in class or the difference in relations and, and connections and whatever. And so just knowing that he's coming back, I think solidified in Lizzie was just like waiting to watch it unfold because like that's where she finds her pleasure like in seeing these like larger plots sort of like unfold themselves in the way that in the ways that she's predicted and Mm. and and finds like a satisfaction in that so I think she's kind of playing her own game and withholding a little bit of information from Jane but only in in very light jest because she know she has such confidence that this is going to work out for Jane yeah I think, um, God, I want want to come back to that note about Lizzie having starting to take pleasure in her ability to see the game and see what's going to happen, anticipate mm-hmm. events. Because I think that's a really important insight about Lizzie's character and how it's evolved. Uh, I also think, and, and this is something I consistently like through this uh, series, is that I think the decision to play Jane as such a reserved introvert. And the way uh, Jennifer Ely's Lizzie plays off of that is such a convincing dynamic. Because I think this moment, and there are little moments like this, they're sweet. Uh, they're grounded in like affection for one another, uh, like sibling sibling affection. But at the same time, like I think this show does acknowledge that for Jane, she, some of this stuff is not taken as lightly or isn't as funny as Lizzie finds it. It's sort of that, that right. classic, like, uh, you know, just because someone's countenance, I guess we'll call it, you know, someone's presenting like very still waters doesn't mean there's not like a massive emotion behind that. And a lot of like feeling and tumult behind that. And, uh, the way that Lizzie, who's a little more outward about it, thinks it's kind of fun to sort of poke for those responses, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that like when I watch the scene, I'm like, mm, maybe just, Maybe just give Jane a little, just a just a little space. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you don't get space in the Bennett clan. Uh, <laughs> Bingley and Darcy uh, show up uh, one day, and 
we find the Bennets have gone through all of this and they're still exactly as they ever were. Uh, Mrs. Bennett is just far, far too much. And uh, immediately there's this great sequence of her trying to get every, like Kitty saw them coming up the walk. It's a long, it's sort of a long driveway. It takes Darcy and Bingley a couple minutes to get up the driveway and into the house. And in that time, it's kind of this places please sequence, Yeah. but Mm -hmm. everyone has to look like they're just, you know, having a lazy afternoon. We're not doing anything. And apparently what that means in this world is every girl in the room has to find something to knit or needlepoint immediately. <laughs> like this is this is the equivalent. Like, this this is how you basically act natural, I guess. Yeah. Is like, hey, just just pick something up and you just fucking decorate it with yeah. a with a flower pattern and just be chill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the I guess it's the equivalent of of I don't know. Like us going on our phones or something and just like kind of aimlessly mm. playing with our phones uh-huh. while someone comes in to be like, when you were just talking about them, you're like, oh, yeah, I was just looking at my phone. I don't know. I just like looking at my phone. I was just doing my needlepoint. I don't know. This is normally like, what I do. This is normally what I do to pass an afternoon. I guess <laughs> doing needlepoint is a little bit more... Uh, 2019, that is what people do right now. Needlepoint's hot. Needlepoint is hot, but I was going to say is... A more, I would be more impressed if I walked in and somebody was like, "Oh, I'm just casually I'm, doing my needlepoint <laughs> instead of like I'm just fucking around on, on Twitter." Phone, on like, Twitter, like, yeah, moving flowers around the house is the is definitely the Twitter of this period. Yeah, totally. Like the flowers were in the right place already. All right, yeah. chill. They were fine. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's. Uh, I think this this excruciating this this excruciating this scene is excruciating mm-hmm. in oh, all the best ways. Mrs. Bennett is just so incredible, and what's great is you know she thinks she's being subtle. Oh, she yeah. is trying to play it so cool with Bingley and convince him like, hey, just come hang out. You are welcome to just spend time with us. You want to shoot some birds? We got birds. You can go shoot them. It'll be great <laughs> after you've killed your own. Uh, but then she hates Darcy. So and much. Oh, I this fucks me up. This fucks me up because that yeah. means she's taken Wickham's side. She hates Darcy because she's gone back on. She didn't need Wickham for that, though. No, she hates Darcy because I think I think it has to do with Lydia marrying Wickham, and so now she has this familial relationship. Mm. To Wickham and her Mm. only her only um, source and perspective into the whole Wickham Darcy situation is Wickham. And she's probably heard it like a thousand times at this point because Wickham has, we all know, not stopped fucking talking about it for years at this point. So when when. Mrs. Bennett, as like Mr. Darcy's approaching, is saying like, oh, I will not, I'll be polite, but I'm not going to be like kind. Oh, he like really rubs me the wrong way. To me, that's like a signal that she's she's sort of taken Wickham's side. And like, what else would inform her of Darcy's, you know, malice uh, other than Wickham? Like other than him just being like kind of, you know, standoffish that's, in public. But. I do think she did not like him as far back as that dance. Because he doesn't play the game. He doesn't dance. He isn't there to have good conversation with people. And like his relation to Lady Catherine, I think, is also a bit of a sore spot. I, I don't think you're wrong. I think Wickham has probably also been like talking shit. Mm-hmm. But I do think that in terms of 
just pure characteristics, dispositions. Yeah, they are they are misaligned. Yeah, uh, the two of them are not. Of a, a fair match, right. let's say, right. uh, in terms of what their expectations of what a social encounter right. should be. And so I, I suspect Wickham has whispered dirty, not dirty, not dirty, mean mm. things to, to Mrs. Bennett. I will not have it on this podcast. <laughs> uh, mean things about Darcy. Yeah. Uh, and that she has been eager to hear them. You yeah. know how it is sometimes yeah. when someone someone rolls through and you're like, "Oh, did you know about Zach?" And I'm like, "Let I me tell you, oh, I know tell just me oh, yo, if it means Zach ever on site, square up with Zach." <laughs> but she can't just say something like that. So instead, she does something that again, she probably thinks is like, "Wow, this is a real like really going to slip him a stiletto." Here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah. she's yeah. like, "Mr. Bingley, you're welcome here to hang out anytime you want." Mr. Darcy, you're welcome too. <laughs> Boom! Oh! Shots fired. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <gasps> So and then she starts talking about uh, all the things that have changed. Like, hey, did you hear? Did you hear my youngest got married? And Bingley tries to respond a few times. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen. No. Uh, Mrs. Ben- Miss Bennett's all good. Um, oh shit! But you're right. This no, you're bit. so right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, where, where where she does start digging into the whole like poor Wickham. Oh, mm-hmm. some he doesn't have as many friends as he should have. At that point, God. Darcy, who I think only gives. Elizabeth, like, one sidelong glance in all this as, like, they sort of both look at each other and they know there's more to this. And then he walks over the window and just sort of stares into the <laughs> middle distance for the rest of this conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he really has gone fully back into um, sort of his episode one mode, almost, where, like, the shields are all the way up. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, he's super impassive. And it's really painful in the scene because, like, Elizabeth is also excluded from his, like, you know, any sort of intimacy or familiarity. Like, like, he's just completely unreadable, mask fully on. And it's painful here because, like, we've seen him now. We we saw him, the last time they saw each other, the defenses had come down so far, right? Mm -hmm. He was on such good behavior and, like, trying his best. And now it feels like this completely excruciating, like, awful regression uh, to... He even seems more guarded than he was, uh, you know, a year earlier. Um, but I mean, I, I feel like some of that comes from just knowing that he's walking. Uh, I don't know. If you were, like, if you were Darcy and you're sitting down and you're fucking, this, this lady is just talking up this guy that has like done you and your family some like real harm Mm -hmm. and you know you can't say shit and you just helped like try to make the best of that situation and um i feel as if darcy is you know in a really painful like has a very painful relationship with uh uh this situation in the sense that he tried to make the best of it uh-huh. but unfortunately the best of it was marrying Lydia to this fucking monster. Right, there was not another play that he could see that would 
that keep anyone her could honor, see. That right. Well, I mean, we we with with retrospect can see right. the trick is like abolishing gender norms right. and and you know having a sexual revolution right. and fuck off uh, social mores of the eight, the early eighteen hundreds. Right. Uh, but that wasn't available to Darcy. No. Darcy didn't have that 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 uh, wild card in his back pocket. <laughs> I draw seven or whatever, like. Unfortunately, not. So, um, <laughs> so I'm you, now picturing the poker tournament, bro. It's the river card, and like <laughs> flips over, like gender equity. <laughs> <laughs> Did not see that one coming, Chip. <laughs> um, but they yeah. should let us. They should let us. Uh, I almost said narrate poker commentate. The reason they don't let us is because I say things like they should let us narrate poker. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that really no. cleared your qualifications no, there. I don't think I made the I don't think I passed the exam. Um so yeah, so to to speak to your point, Rob, this is the point when Mrs. Bennett is bringing up sort of like the oh the poor Mr. Wickham that I really feel like she's she's sort of taken his side again after, you know, their their marriage. Not a lot happens in the sequence. It mostly is just a, sort of an opening move here. But we do get another sequence with Lizzie and Jane where Jane is continuing to just like really. But now now it totally is a bluff where she is saying like, I'm really glad we saw each other. And, uh, you know, it was totally normal. It was extremely fine. <laughs> just casual. Um, we're just we're just so good with it. And we can be friends now. Um, and it's not anything at all. Uh, I love it this way. Uh, it's better. Uh, quick thing here. They're also uh, hanging like uh, like her herbs and spices like in the most gorgeous like kitchen prep area. In, yeah, they're like, like hanging the- dried flowers and, and and herbs and things like that. It just looks like I just that's how I want to spend a, a summer, a, yeah, a nice smodum afternoon. Smodum, smodum, smodum. No, smodum sounds. I think- Small. Either way, I think this is the most Pinterest-friendly sequence in <laughs> oh. the entire miniseries. Like, I'm looking at the the fucking like uh, little like trellis they've got above mm-hmm. the uh, butcher oh, block yeah. counter. Like, I'm like, hell yes, Mood like board. Like, no oh, yeah. AF. Yeah, yeah, put that on my inspo page. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it is cute. Now Lizzie really is fully teasing. Uh, oh Jane. yeah, she's you know, all the way. Yeah, yeah, and. Th- there's a great look from Jane as she's trying to maintain impassive and like Lizzie just continues to smirk at her until so, like, she breaks. Yeah, so she literally laughs at a certain point, right? Yeah. Like, I would not be Jane. I would not have my composure. I'd be like, all right, look, what do you know? What do you say? You tell me right now. We're blood, all right? <laughs> yeah. Blood don't do this. You wouldn't be Jane, though. No, I wouldn't be Jane. I'd be Lizzie. You'd be, you're such I'm a Lizzie. I'm such a Lizzie. That's the truth. The truth is I'm a Lizzie. Yeah. So. Um, so then we get a cut to, and this is a interesting sequence. We, um, there's a little more in the book about the dynamics behind Darcy and Bingley's relationship and who Bingley is. As a person, like, I mean, this is one thing that gets met, like, cut out a little bit here is that the portrait of Bingley in the book is a little more nuanced um, rather than the sort of more puppy dogish portrayal, mm-hmm. I guess is the way I'd put it. But it opens on Darcy has clearly just confessed to Bingley that, like, yo, I, uh, so here's the thing I may have fucked up and misread that whole situation. 
and told you she didn't care about you, but she did, and I was wrong. Um, also, she was in London the entire winter, and I kept that from you. Yeah. We still good? Bro? <laughs> and like, and basically they are. Right. They are. Bingley's like, wait, you kept it from me? Like, what? You did what? And Darcy basically, I guess this is, you know, like masterful diffusing of a thing. He just completely owns up. He's like, yep, I completely fucked up. It was completely inappropriate of me to do this. It was officious and wrong. I apologize. Um, and Bingley is so, I guess, in awe of Darcy that this, that's enough. He's just like, wait, you apologize and admit mm. you were wrong. And Darcy's like unreservedly. And like that's all Bingley needed to hear. We good. We're all good. And then Bingley's like, so what would you say if I married her? And you know, he's like, Do I have your bro do I have your blessing? Do I have your brochure? Yeah. Your bro and your blessing. Bad. <laughs> your and Darcy's response is you know, do you do you need it? And Bingley Sir comes back with, no, but I should like to have it. And it's kind of a sweet scene, but mm -hmm. also really drives home the weird power dynamic in this friendship. Uh, and the uh, like just the things they're they're willing to let be water under the bridge here. Uh, there is I'm certain someone has has tackled this and written about it that like the degree to which – like, so Wickham is all the way out, right? We've talked about this. Wickham, get, get the fuck out, right? Wickham crossed too many lines, uh, went too far. Yeah. But except for in polite society where he's still actually able to move and make connections and however whispers happen in one town, do not follow him across the country enough and uh, and he can still kind of prosper wherever he goes by being a scam artist until Darcy kind of forces him to settle down. The um, – the thing about the relationship between Bingley and Darcy that's interesting is this idea that like we have a lot of latitude in modes of being, in misdeeds that cannot push us from our position as gentlemen and our relations, which are positive generally. Um, and women just don't have that those relationships here except for I think Lizzie and Jane and that seems to be framed as exceptional, as being rare, that their, their connection would allow for that sort of back and forth and compromise and all that. Mm -hmm. But among the women who are rivals of various men's affection, among women from different families uh, who are trying to find a, a match or who are trying to represent their families um, – there doesn't seem to be that flexibility of friendship that they can bounce back from from um, you know some not misdeed but but from some some uh, infraction, mm -hmm. um, and that's it, it's it's a little frustrating to some degree, right? But I'd really like to see that moment with Charlotte, yeah, and Jane. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lizzie. Eliz well, yeah, yeah, right. Because that's the key example that does not have this, right? Yeah, Lizzie falls uh, charlotte falls away from the story of the book after she's married and it's insinuated that like though we'll still see each other sometimes and we talked about this last week i think yeah we're not it's done like this relationship is not what it once was yeah and we also talked about how she i mean she is like her 
and Mr. Collins now have a relationship where they're like open in communication with each other to the point that, you know, she's saying she's like not maybe not maliciously talking shit, but she is sort of gossiping with Mm -hmm. him in a way that comes back around and comes back to Lizzie. And I would have loved to see a sort of resolution after that. Like if I were Lizzie and I'm hearing my best friend talk to her fucking dumbass husband Mm -hmm. about how my parents are the fault of my little sister being a teenager. Right. I would be pissed. I would be pissed. And the fact that there is no... I would have so liked to see um, a non-familial relationship between women have that sort of resolution and and have that sort of sisterhood that totally. that you can find outside of you know familial relationships. So, um, I'm I'm really curious as to, I mean I could see Lizzie just you know forgiving and and moving on but i still would have liked to have seen it for that matter and like this is one of those things that's just i think is a is a reflection of the time of writing and of what austin's you know kind of goals and visions for what uh, romance were but like i would love to have I think Emma, we talked about this last week a little bit rob but Emma gets close to what i'm about to say but to have a relationship between uh, people of different genders that is just a, a good platonic friendship or a good friendship that does not need to s- kind of b- blossom into romance and for it to be sustained. And obviously that is not – and for it to, again, not be – you know, that because there's a familial relationship that precludes that in some way, right? Um, but like th- you get a little bit of that back in in Emma with Emma and Mr. Nightleaf through the bulk of the book. But then like, oh, right, and this is why they're such good romantic partners is because they're such good friends, right? But I would love for there to also be a knightly equivalent here for for Lizzie or Jane to confide in that does not – that is not just like – The foundations for a romantic a future relationship. relationship. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Totally. Same. Um, but again, what we really I recognize – really Regency Harry Met Sally. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Although right. no, actually, that's an entire that's an entire film about of that. Yeah, where right. nope, you can't. You you think you, you think, think we can, could present this version no. of friendship? Actually, no. This is off the table. It all boils down yeah. to this, and like that isn't true. And it, it, I recognize the thing I want to be super clear about is that like when Jane Austen is writing, the notion of like oh these two people, this man and this woman coming together as kind of intellectual equals is already a fairly, right. you know, progressive and radical thing, right. you know, inside of, inside of the, the realm of fiction that she's writing in. I, I want to be clear. I'm, you know, giving Austin her due. Uh, but also, it would be dope. <laughs> it would be dope if. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Um, so with Darcy's blessing, Bingley just, you know, calls for his horse immediately, rides over to Longbourn uh, at high speed. And once again, uh, we're just going to play it extremely normal at Longbourn. Uh, nothing going on unusual, uh, except Mrs. Bennett is convinced that really she's just got to get these two. She's got to get Bingley and Jane. This is a bit of the Emma thing where something is clearly going to happen. Like there's clearly already a trajectory that like mm-hmm. these two characters are on. It doesn't actually matter what happens from here. Uh, you know, they're going to find each other no matter what. But Mrs. Bennett has to somehow take ownership. Like this is what she does. She has to take ownership of this moment and make it her triumph to like, 
you know, ensnare this guy into a marriage with one of his daughters. And so she becomes convinced that what she, you know, the, the, the master stroke here is to get them alone together. Unfortunately, it's not really entirely natural for them to be alone together in this time period. Um, even so, it's handled in about the most graceless way possible, uh, where they all try to sit down uh, in the drawing room. And then Mrs. Bennett, uh, kind of like the opening of The Hobbit in reverse, needs to remove one by one the extra parties uh, at this at this conversation. So first she has to, uh, they're all sort of stuck together and she does the, um, she tries to signal Kitty like, hey, mm-hmm. right. make, an, make an excuse to get out of here. And poor Kitty, um, you know, just not, just not quite getting it. Um, She's like winking uh, at her. She's like, wink, wink, wink. And Kitty's like, yo, what's good with, what's going on? Like, are you okay? Is everything okay? What's up? What's up? And she's like, what a, what a silly notion that I should wink at my child. What a ridiculous thing. But now that you say it, we should really get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and Mary, you too. Let's just all go. Let's all just Everyone go. Leave. Everyone out now. But not Lizzie, who um, tries to make herself as inconspicuous as possible in the scene by again busting out the 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 <laughs> the needlepoint. I guess is there a difference between covering a screen and needlepoint? Like they're all doing that thing where you know you you hold like the frame, yeah. right? Linen right. stretched across, it, and then you begin stitching something no over idea. the linen. Is that screen? Co- is that needlepoint? What is needlepoint? Uh, Releases butterfly. Is this needlepoint? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's this? Is this is this needlepoint? I love this. Either way, it's a great moment where Lizzie. I think tries it is to be like, hey, I think that is needlepoint. I'm looking at needlepoint happening. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's right now. Some we got, sort we got of got live embroidery. Footage. Live. Okay. Well, not live. Archival. Archival needlepoint. Okay. This from, looks like from the needlepoint world the champions are not. Underway. I mean, the era from the era, yeah, from the era. Um, era. But I do love Lizzie trying to be just, hey, just you two kids, just forget I'm here. Let me, you know what? Let me give you privacy. Let me do a quarter turn of my shoulders. <laughs> I'm a cool mom. Just, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. That's exactly it. <gasps> you yes, kids just Lizzie's have fun about to down give here. Them, <laughs> Lizzie's about to drive them home from the movie theater. Yep. Um. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a great moment. Um, Mrs. Hill, the housekeeper, opens the door and says, uh, Miss Bennett, you're ma. And just she didn't really have a plan beyond no. this and gives this sort of like sad shrug of like, look, I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but you need to get out of this room. Um <sighs> It, God, it's it's great and tacky uh, to to the bitter end, um, but it all works out. Uh, Lizzie eventually is like, I need to check on Jane, and she and Bingley are looking quite uh, enraptured with one another by the fire, and uh, they are engaged, and uh, finally that crisis appears to be the the the, the sort of the, the core crisis for the Bennett family. Will any of them marry well? Uh, is re- is resolved. Mr. Bingley gets permission from Mr. Bennett. Um, really? Who, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, really quick, when Jane is, is talking to Lizzie about, you know, 
as as Lizzie comes back down and and she's just like head over heels, just like in the clouds, and she says specifically. Her la- the last thing she says to uh, Lizzie before she goes and talks to her mother is, to know that I shall be giving such pleasure to all my dear family. How shall I bear so much happiness? And that was such an odd last note to leave that conversation on. Is the is just not odd, I guess, but it just it reinforces something that I don't want for Jane, which is mm-hmm. the same thing that we've been talking about from the very first episode of having this responsibility to marry well because she is the prettiest and nicest one of of the group of the gals and and therefore she has and the oldest and therefore she has you know this responsibility to the rest of the family to marry well for for everyone else and and it was just like kind of a sad thing to me to watch her walk away having internalized this idea so much that that is like her her lingering thought is like it it makes me so happy to bring such pleasure to my family and like not in a way that I'm like oh that's you know I don't think not to like give her less respect or anything like that like I think you know she's genuinely happy because she genuinely loves this person and Bingley loves her too um but it was just kind of like it rub it like hit a sore spot for me because I I want it to be oh, you found love without any contingencies, but that's just not the case for her. Like, that is just not how she's internalized her role within mm-hmm. that family. And to see I have a her... Okay. All right. I mean, I like I agree, except that I think you are not giving Jane quite enough credit for how unselfish she is. And I don't think it's just about how she's internalized the logic of the marriage economy she's a part of. But I think from the first, like Jane is somebody who puts other people's happiness ahead of her own. She Mm -hmm. wants to be of use to people and her family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think something happening in the scene is she is happy. Like she's going to be incredibly like that. She loves Bingley and cares about him a great deal is is already done deal. What makes her like almost like overflowing with happiness is that her happiness is also going to allow her to like do right by her family. I think that's I think that's the other part of this is it's what transforms her from like satisfaction and happiness on a personal level to like being bursting with joy Mm -hmm. because on some level she is somebody whose happiness could not be complete unless it was also somehow making everyone she loves also a little bit happier. Right. I don't think she would feel good if she was the only one happy in this situation. Right. Marrying for love and then fuck off everybody else. Yeah. She she would just like, I I think you're right, Rob. I think she, she is someone that, that, probably isn't comfortable in in being selfish and and wouldn't you know pursue something that that would lead to yeah that. I, I think there's two things here that are interesting one is it's easier to bear her raw emotion when it is negative about the situation and when she is put on because the stress of needing to to live up to this role and this demand is super easy to relate to and to mm-hmm. recognize as being an unfair stress. Right. But like the inverse, it's interesting, the inverse of that, her joy 
at succeeding in that role is harder to swallow because it re- it reveals that her previous stress was not at the structure but at the circumstance, right? Um, she's not like, ah, I wish it couldn't be this way. It was, it's ah, mm. I wish I had, I wish this had come easier, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's also a formal reason for this happening and for her joy here, which is. And for her and for Bingley and she being primary and happening before Lizzie and Darcy, mm-hmm. which is it clears Lizzie's marriage to not be about this. Right. Lizzie and Darcy now does not do not have to be about the circumstances of the Bennets and the and the family. Now the romance can actually take center stage for them, mm-hmm. even though there's obviously a material situation also involved here. Right. And that money is still a factor. Now that this que- the the Jane question, the Bennett question, has been answered by way of Bingley, we we get to pretend like that's not part of. We don't have to think about that part of the Darcy romance anymore. Right. I'm um, curious as to like the structure, like the the logistical structure of this situation, in the sense that if Lizzie, like. Does Lizzie's marriage still have an impact on the family, or is it now just all taken care of by Jane? Like, if Lizzie no. also marries well, is that sort of financial support also going to end up yeah. trickling into the Bennets? Yeah, so this is, I think something that's going on here is that the way money works in this world is a little hard to like for me like it's hard for me to grasp right because like when we're talking about like Darcy makes 10,000 a year yeah but he's a man with clearly like tens of thousands of pounds to call on if right. he needs to the 10,000 a year i think is just like the interest and rents he receives each year based on his estate and its property holdings. Mm-hmm. And so like when we're talking about like 10,000 a year, he's he's extremely wealthy. Likewise, there is a pool of money that is available to the Bennett daughters after Mr. and Mrs. Bennett pass away that is independent of the estate of Longbourn. And I think in this case, it's a thousand pounds to each daughter. Mm. Um but that was basically all they had to rely on. There was nothing else that Mr. Bennett could have done in his will to like extract more money from that estate. This was somehow he was handcuffed only like leaving this much. I am pretty sure there's nothing formal uh, here that's going to help the Bennett sisters and Mrs. Bennett after Mr. Bennett is gone. Like I think literally this is like Jane marrying well means there's a guy with large reserves of cash right. to basically inject into the family and possibly like put people up in homes uh you know on or near his estate uh right. things like that so i think Lead the I think, other ones to to connections and and things like that i was just curious if elizabeth if her marriage could also financially contribute or if it was oh, yeah. if there's like some like I was just curious about the logistics of of that sort of situation. No, the logistics are I think the same that a lot of us a lot that's familiar to a lot of us, which is uh, doing right by your aging parents and uh, mm-hmm. siblings who may be struggling uh, as as you go through life. Uh, so I think on this, even though it's at a scale of like massive uber wealthy like inherited riches in this world i think to an extent the future that jane and eventually lizzie are going to be staring down is you know hey can you send a little more money home this month Uh like this is in the epilogue of the book like lydia is hitting up jane and lizzie constantly for like uh so 
you know, damnedest thing, but Wickham and I are just a little bit late on our rent and a few bills. Uh, you know, a few can, you, can you spare something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think on that score, literally what's going to help here is just you can always make a touch uh, right. to, to the sisters who married well. Right. I doubt I doubt Lizzie's going to be, oh, hmm. <laughs> what? I was thinking, I was like, I doubt Lizzie and Darcy are going to be sending allowances to Wickham and Lydia. But then again, that's literally what they have. Darcy has already done. So, uh, well, this, this is explicitly dealt with in the epilogue. Uh, in the book, they like literally Austin has that same like Austin knows that people are going to be wondering about that. And mm-hmm. in the epilogue includes the note that. Like, of course, like, Darcy was basically like, fuck Wickham. I'm done dealing with that guy. And, like, I like I bailed him out for the last time. And he sure can't come visit for Christmas. Like, they are not allowed in the house. I don't want them around. No Wickham's And Lizzie's solution to that. Yeah. So Lizzie's solution to that is, as the mistress of Pemberley, she has, like, a household budget. Uh, right. Like, all, like running, running the estate and, uh, like, her, her portions of it. She has a budget to do that. Mm-hmm. It's substantial. A lot of it is overhead in keeping up the house. But if you economize in some places, you can free up enough money to send to uh, your sister and her worthless dirtbag husband. <laughs> God. God. There's a uh, – if people are interested in the money side of this, there's a website. There's a WordPress blog called Jane Austen's World. So if you go to janeaustensworld.wordpress.com, there is a, an entire entry on money in Regency, uh, in the Regency era. Um, and uh, uh, there is a, a specific article called Pride and Prejudice Economics or Why a Single Man with a Fortune of 4,000 pounds per <laughs> Year is a Desirable Husband. Um, and it includes like some good like – it goes beyond how much money is this in that. Like it does do more than that. It contextualizes things a little bit more. It does talk about needing to economize and like what that means. Um, but there is just this one line that's just like, man. Um, so to put some of these num- these sums in perspective, the average a- annual income for an English laborer or farmer in 1800 was around 15 to 20 pounds. <laughs> to live comfortably, an English gentleman like Mr. Bennett would require around 300 pounds per year per individual or over 15 times the amount for a working man supported by his family. I love money. I love it. I love capital. It's so good. Holy shit. These guys It's a are weird making- economy. Like this is things about it's a weird, it don't that fully is, map. Yes, that is the thing that is the, the the big takeaway is just like this does not it, you can't do the one to one conversion because of the way money traveled differently then, right? Like the, one of the, there was a telegraph piece that was saying that Darcy today wouldn't even be making a million dollars a year. He'd be or a million pounds a year. He'd be making like 700 some K, but that same amount then traveled much further and would have been like making $12 million a year. Um, uh, and so like, there's a lot, there's a, there's right. a, a right. lot to unpack. And like, if you want to get into that stuff, because the economy was just a different thing. Yeah. So. Um, also yeah. he didn't even have Twitter. So, you know, <laughs> so fuck him. So fuck he got him. T- he got loads done. He got so much That's done. He earned that money because of all uh, that spare time he had not being online. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was able to do things like be a good landlord, which definitely means helping his tenants mm-hmm. and not extracting punishing rents from them. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, by all accounts, he was all right. <laughs> same, same as Nightly. There's he, n- not all landlords. 
uh, is is kind of the approach that Austin takes with um, yeah, yeah with Knightley and, and the Knightleys and Darcys uh, of of the world. Um, real quick, I think to this that that aspect of money, it's sort of a throwaway, uh, but we might as well just cover the scene here when. Mr. Bennett is trying to be graceful with Mr. Bingley and sort of welcoming him to the family. And he gives him about the highest compliment we will hear Mr. Bennett give anyone in this series, which is, um, you know, there are few men whose society I can tolerate with equanimity. Uh, but I believe you may be one of them. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, which, great, awesome, thank you. Uh, but then he does sort of, he, he sort of cracks wise with Jane because, you know, he's always got to tease, tease the kids mm-hmm. um, and makes the, makes the comment. And I actually think this is a somewhat shrewd remark. He says they're both going to be so agreeable uh, that they're not going to ever be able to decide on anything. And all their servants are going to take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to burn through a lot of their money. And uh, the, they will they will know hardship, I think. Or, or he says something to that effect. Uh, they will always live in excess of their income. That's right. Yeah. They will always live in excess of their income. And Mrs. Bennett immediately uh, not getting it, sort of feigns outrage. You know, how could they possibly? Uh, you know, what are you talking about? There's no way they could spend uh, more than their income. He makes five thousand a year. Um, but I do think I do feel like this is actually kind of an insightful remark from. Mr. Bennett about Mr. Bennett as much of an asshole as he can be, which he can be. We'll see this later in the series. Yeah. Um, he's also somebody who's been deeply scarred by a bad marriage and bad marriage dynamics. And he's guilty of a lot of those dynamics, but he's not guilty of all of them, right? Like some of what he is, is also a reaction to dysfunction in a relationship. And I think he does kind of identify something here, which is that, um, there's no reason to think Jane and Bingley are not going to be ridiculously happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also he does kind of flag this slight worry. Cause I have a similar reservation. They are a little bit so conflict avoidant and eager to please that like, that does seem like a recipe for a little bit of trouble uh, for both, for both parties to be completely unable to like, express needs head on and to confront problems head on. Like for like, do you want, is, is it ideal for both people in a marriage to be the sort who would like have Darcy confess? Yeah, totally screwed you guys over. Uh, we cool. And for that to be the end of it for uh-huh. that to be cool. Uh, I, I don't know. I've always, I've always thought that's an interesting sort of send off that Mr. Bennett gives to their relationship. And uh, I think there's actually a little more than a grain of truth to, sort of what he identifies as a potential pitfall in their relationship. Well, to some degree too, this is like, he's right. And part of what he's also right about is the decline of, of this particular mode of wealth to some degree, right? That like, one of the things he says is, and he doesn't know that this is what he's saying is like, Oh, you're going to be so generous when people want more money, you're going to give it to them. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, dog, guess what? All this shit is going away. Give it 75 years. Give it 100 years. All this shit is going away. And honestly, if Bingley and Jane are like help easing it along by giving their servants raises, more power to them. You yeah. know? Um, it's not all going away entirely. It's just there's going to be this well, brief moment where. God. I mean, there is an interesting dynamic here of even in this, even in these books and uh, in this adaptation, you do get the sense like 
there are hints that the gardeners are secretly pretty wealthy. Not like right, rich, right, rich, right. but like they're actually doing all right. And the money's from trades. That's why they don't count as right. rich people. That's why no, they're not gentry. Right. I but mean, we talked about those resources with, with the farm yeah. with with uh, what's his name? I forget his name now. With John. Been, with, right, right, exactly. Uh, where it's like, oh wow, yeah, like he's as rich as us. It's just he doesn't have the family. He doesn't have the blood, mm. and so he isn't part of society in that way. But that transition is happening, and it's also happening in the note of like the Bennets are about to be erased. And for mm. every Bennett family that does end with Jane and Lizzie getting married to good men and also Lydia fucking up because Wickham is a disaster, like, cretin <laughs> victim chasing. Like, uh, he's the worst disgusting scum. man. Um, uh, because of all that, like, oh, the Bennets are going to continue. The, the, maybe not the Bennett name at this point, obviously, because it's it's all daughters and that's how that works. But the the that those... Um, Relationships will. But for every one of those, you know there's another Bennett family somewhere else in England who did not get married, whose whose wealth evaporated and went to a Collins instead. And this class the, the this class continues to shift as like some of that money goes to people who are not um uh, uh landed gentry in the same way, mm-hmm. and some of it goes into the hands of others who are and who are now amassing more wealth and it's becoming more centralized. And like mm-hmm. I don't know, that's an interesting aspect of this that is happening while Jane Austen is alive, right? She is not writing well, with with hindsight with this. It's it's even noted in like the early chapters of the book that the Bingleys are indeed an old name. They're mm-hmm. an old family. They're an old family from the north. But why is he in London? Because right. they weren't a rich family. Right. The the riches kind of went away a little while ago. The prestige of the family kind of dropped. It's it's inherited, but like they haven't been like players in quite some time. Bingley made that happen, right? Like, or 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 his father, but like in the last generation, the Bingleys made a lot of money through like tr- like shrewd transactions through trade right. to sort of bring themselves back to the forefront of society. Um, but like their their money is yes, they they are gentry, they are they are inherited that, but the wealth and prestige that they have is largely stuff that's been earned on the back of like accomplishments in trade. Um. So yeah, that is, that is an interesting undercurrent here. The, the other thing I would emphasize um, is that, you know, a different sort of comedy of manners. But um, have either of you ever read the Jeeves and Wooster uh, novels? No, um, no, I have not. So there are a series of comic novels about um, Bertie Wooster and his uh, really sharp, omnicompetent butler Jeeves, uh, and Jeeves has to get him. Uh, out of a lot of jams. Is this and where ask, uh, ask Jeeves comes from? Yeah, basically, like Jeeves is the archetypal, like the butler who knows everything is actually smarter than all the rich people he serves, gotcha. and uh, as part of doing his job well, just like is basically Mister Wolf to Bertie Wooster's, you know, perpetual problems because Bertie's kind of a dumbass gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> but in the backdrop of those novels, these are written in like I think the 30s through the 50s. Um. It's kind of the annihilation of this class of like suit, like inherited gentry, right. uh, inherited wealth gentry, because eventually, in addition to trade becoming more and more important, at some point, like tax laws change quite a bit. Mm. And yeah. like Great Britain, like made conscious political choices to begin busting up this class structure. Uh, and mind you, if you look at like who is in charge of British politics today, like Clearly, the job was not completed to anyone's satisfaction. Uh, but nevertheless, like 
they eventually this does sort of inflict a trauma on this class of people uh, as sort of that easy idea of like inherited money and stability and, and stature begins to go away through a combination of like the rise of trade and industry and then like political decisions to break apart uh, the sort of class structure. Um, we will leave it here for now. Uh, we'll take a quick break and uh, we'll be back with uh, the, the prize fight we've all been waiting for. Uh, in this corner, in red, Lady Catherine de Berg. Finally. <laughs> and wearing saddle and white, <laughs> Lizzie Bennett. After the break. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. So in the wake of uh, Jane's engagement with Bingley, kind of completely out of the blue, Lady Catherine de Berg and her daughter Anne just show up at Longbourn. Uh, like literally, it is they are sitting like the 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 Bennett uh, sisters and Mrs. Bennett are just hanging out as they often do uh, in that in that drawing room, and then the news comes that Lady Catherine is here, and no sooner has that news been delivered than like Lady Catherine appears in the door. She doesn't even wait to be announced. Mm-hmm. You just hear her like at the door being like, "This is a very small foyer, foyer or something like that," and then bursts into the room, practically like Kool Aid Man's through the door. <laughs> uh, and I gotta say, I like I love this scene. Lady Catherine is unbearable, but one, it is really good to see her kind of expose what a puffed up blowhard Mrs. Bennett is. Mm. Mrs. Bennett like is all about treat me with respect and I'll respect you. She, you know, loves playing those little games. When Lady Catherine comes in, Mrs. Bennett is completely cowed. Mm. Uh, This is clearly like, she is clearly terrifying uh, the Bennett's except for Lizzie who doesn't know what this is about, but, Seems like she's had enough of Lady Catherine and people dissing her family. And it's like a really cool, like, hostile energy in that room uh, mm-hmm. when, when they're all trying to make nice. I just I, I that's that scene is just exquisite. It's so good. Uh, the way that it, it this is such an, a fascinating scene, because for once you see Lady Catherine in an environment and a context that is not her own. And this is her coming into somebody else's space. And it's 
importantly, somebody of a lower class. Yeah. And the way that she, like, you hear how she moved through Mr. Collins's house, right? And pointed out, you know, the stairs, the closets, or whatever the fuck. And then here she's talking about, you know, the ill placement of the drawing room in regards to the sun and, and like, random the the hall is too small or whatever mm-hmm. and it's just it's really interesting to see her sort of what she latches onto in a context like this and so much of it has to do with placement and like the infrastructure and layout of the house rather than like oh you don't have nice things it's like you yeah. haven't you haven't made the in what her eyes is the most out of sort of the bones you've been given um, in a way that's like, it's very, it's something unchangeable, right? Like this drawing room is not going to not be the drawing room. Like the drawing room is the drawing room Mm -hmm. and you're not going to, you know, rebuild the house to accommodate for the way, for the cardinal directions (laughs) of how the sun sets or whatever. So it's like, it's fascinating to me that she she sort of what she critiques is the what is like permanent in the house and it's like something that you can't fix and it's almost like a lower blow because that's not something that you know Mrs. Bennett can dress up with that's decorations really and things like that. It's literally the infrastructure of the house and in that sense it's unchanging just like you know Mrs. Bennett's class like the the Bennett class or whatever like this is just something that's very permanent and it's yours and there's no changing it and and to critique that is like especially you know it, there's just nothing that can be done about it which is just like especially cold mm-hmm. I think there's like yeah. some value there too in thinking about I, I hadn't thought about it about Longbourn in this way, really, um, as extension of the Bennett household. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we spent a lot of time talking um, about Pemberley as extension of and kind of um, s- s- kind of the the place at which Darcy is most himself, mm-hmm. or, or you know, mo- is what he aspires to be, uh, mm-hmm. and how off he seems there. So I think it's interesting one to th- this is the scene at which it becomes clear that, that Longbourn is also that for the Bennetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the bones aren't always great. You know, yeah. sometimes the, you got to work with what you got and it's not – it is not uh, up to uh, up to Lady Catherine's standards. But this is also a moment where she is out of her place like you said and so in some ways like not at the strength of her power. Mm-hmm. Um, she is there, – there is such a thing as home, as home field advantage yeah. uh, very clearly here um, and that is – Maybe a, a bit surprising given her. I mean, it's not because Lizzie rules, and we'll get into this in a moment. Uh, but part of that feels like it, it comes from Lizzie being in a place that is she knows. For Lady Catherine, it is not simply that the drawing room should be on the west. Right. It is that in not having the drawing room on the west. It is as if the world has been turned upside down and the mm-hmm. logics by which she can force herself into 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 a position of power in the social situation. She doesn't have the same like support structure in a in a very metaphorical sense, but also in like a oh, I guess my aesthetic 
my aesthetic, okay, like aesthetics and morals are tied together. This is like a, a, a thing that has happened. We've talked about this before. In this moment, there is there is a, an alliance between aesthetic taste and moral vision and and duty and social, uh, social order, right? Um, and if she's in a space where her sense of aesthetics are not respected, then that means that she also can't be sure that her – that her social like, – right. her understanding of social mm -hmm. order is actually true because those are the same thing. Yeah. It is not simply – it is not simply nice to have the the windows on the west, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It is good to have that. Yeah. That suggests a certain – and here they don't – it's not that they don't even care. It's like, listen, we're down in the muck yeah. in comparison to Lady Catherine and we make do and we make do and make choices. You know? uh, yeah, that's just not something that's in – their sort of pragmatism. Right. It's not something she's that a, you, she you need to plan. Be a, and also, this isn't a house that had an interior designer like consider all those sort of like extra things. <laughs> In a house like Pemberley or like Lady Catherine de Bourgh's house, that is a house that is meant to be visited. It right. is, it is, it is yes. like an almost like an artifact of this family's wealth and status and all those kinds of things. So of course every consideration is made into and 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 like you said, Austin, those considerations point towards the family themselves. Right. Not towards like the house it's like it, it is always connected it is always um um you know a signifier of the family um it's interesting that i think there's another element here which is that lady catherine de Berg, the way the way you see rosings laid out the nature of its garden uh this is emphasized in the book it's all like french enlightenment yeah. rationalist design and layout which is why things like there i agree there's absolutely an element of she likes pointing things out that are wrong about the bones of a house that you can't fix and you're kind of left with nothing to do but concede like yeah i guess having the windows fully west does mean the light just shines in through. And by the way, like I grew up in a house with windows full full west, and yeah. it does suck in the summer. Like you just you're blinded. My bedroom uh, for like was, six hours a day. That was my bedroom had western windows as a kid, and it fucking sucked. I have yeah so no hot. no. I you don't. want you want the uh, <laughs> you want it to be slightly to offset. <laughs> um, but it also but, gives some context. You're right, Rob, to the line that Catherine says, which is. Um, there seemed to be a prettyish kind of little wilderness on on uh, one side of your lawn, which is which is like yeah, dog. Like that's the style right now. It mm -hmm. is not. It is not a prettyish kind of wilderness. This is what this is what like uh, 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 we want gardens to look like at this point. Not like your highly manicured maze garden bullshit. Like we that's in the past. We've moved past that. Mm -hmm. The British garden has evolved, mm -hmm. um, and and that's really interesting. What she's kind of painted there is a portrait of how she sees Lizzie. Right. She's she's pretty-ish. She's wild, um, but not like deserving of notice, right? Like not like not mm. something that you should admire as fitting any kind of aesthetic qualities that anyone should value. Uh, and so Lady Catherine is there, like very like in her dress, in, in the way Rosings is laid out. Everything is in this very old style. Tastes are changing around her, and. Lizzie kind of typifies what is starting to come into fashion in some sense, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, so someone more uh, – less polished, more in tune with nature, more of the country than, than above it. 
Uh, and so when, when she, when she sort of gives that contemptuous little, there's a prettyish little wilderness. And by the way, it is gorgeous. I really mm-hmm. like Longbourn. There's mm. lots of like cute things on those grounds. Um, and that wilderness is one of them. Uh, but she's, she's picking this fight. Let's go, let's go out to this place that sort of typifies you, where you come from. And let's go have this one-on-one. It's worth and noting you can that- almost hear the bell ringing. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, you can in the book, it is not like so in the in the show. Uh, Lady Catherine is like, I should I should be glad to take a turn in it if you'd favor me your company. Um, in which it's like she is really stepping to to Lizzie in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the book, uh, Mrs. Bennett sets them up to go have oh, this fight. Weird. She says like, Miss Bennett, there seems to be uh, uh, a kind of pretty little blah, 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 blah. Um, so I guess that is the stepping out, right? She's like, Lizzie, I like your garden. But then uh, Mrs. Bennett says, go my dear and show show her ladyship about the different walks. I think she'll be pleased with the hermitage. Elizabeth obeyed and running into her own, her own room for her parasol, attended her noble guest downstairs. As they passed through the hall, Lady Catherine opened the doors into the dining parlor and drawing room and pronouncing, uh, and pronouncing them after a short survey to be decent looking rooms walked on. It's like, I, I'm going to go upstairs and get my, my umbrella. I'll be right back. And in that time, Lady Catherine was like, I got to get in two more shots real quick. Yeah, I guess these are rooms. Was this the drawing room? This is the drawing room? Yeah, okay, if you say so. <laughs> so we so they walk out across the grounds. It's a be, it's beautifully shot. Again, this mm-hmm. is fall is starting to come in. Um it just looks like glorious fall throughout this entire final episode. Uh, but we see them, you know, walking into the garden and setting up to to have this conversation. And I think we need to roll tape here because uh, I think this is one of the last really pivotal exchanges in the series. And it is, I'll argue, like, this is a critical moment for establishing the ways that Lizzie has changed. Uh, and grown across the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's just there's a really good energy here. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's let's run the run the fight tape of <laughs> uh, Lady Catherine confronting Elizabeth Bennett. Uh, do we have it pulled up? Uh, one second. Here we go. All right, ready? Three, two, one, click. You can be at no loss to understand the reason for my journey, Miss Bennett. Indeed, you are mistaken, madam. I am quite unable to account for the honor of seeing you here. Miss Bennett, you ought to know I am not to be trifled with. But however insincere you choose to be, you shall not find me so. A report of an alarming nature reached me two days ago. I was told not only that your sister was to be most advantageously married, but that you, Miss Elizabeth Bennet, would be soon afterwards united to my own nephew, Mr. Darcy. Who reported that? Oh, I know. I'm so curious. Scandalous mm. I instantly resolved on setting off for this place to make my sentiments known to you. If you believed it to be impossible, I wonder you took the trouble of coming so far. What would your ladyship propose by it? At once to insist upon having such a report universally contradicted. Your coming to Longbourn to see me will be taken as a confirmation of it, if indeed such a report exists. This is not to be borne, Miss Bennet. I insist on being satisfied. Has my nephew made you an offer of marriage? 
Your ladyship has declared it to be impossible. It ought to be so. <clears throat> but your arts and allurements may have made him forget what he owes to himself and all the family. You may have drawn him in. If I had, I should be the last person to confess it. Miss Bennet, do you know who I am? I have not been accustomed to such language as this. I am almost the nearest relation he has, and I am entitled to know all his nearest concerns. But you are not entitled to know mine, nor will such behaviour as this induce me to be explicit. Let me be rightly understood. This match to which you have the presumption to aspire can never take place. Mr. Darcy is engaged to my daughter. Now, what have you to say? Only this, that if he is so, you can have no reason to suppose he'll make an offer to me. The engagement between them is of a peculiar kind. From their infancy, there they is. have been intended for mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. It was the favourite wish of his mother as well as hers. Mm -hmm. While she was in her cradle, we planned the union. And now to be prevented by the upstart pretensions of a young woman without family, connections or fortune? Is this to be endured? It shall not be. Your alliance would be a disgrace. Your name would never even be mentioned by any of us. These would be heavy misfortunes indeed. Obstinate, headstrong girl, I'm ashamed of you. I have not been in the habit of brooking disappointment. That will make your ladyship's situation at present more pitiable, but it will have no effect on me. I will not be interrupted. If you were sensible of your own good, you would not wish to quit the sphere in which you've been brought up. Lady Catherine, in marrying your nephew, I should not consider myself as quitting that sphere. He is a gentleman, I am a gentleman's daughter. So far, we are equal. But who is your mother? Who are your uncles and aunts? Do not imagine me ignorant of their condition. Whatever my connections may be, if your nephew does not object to them, they can be nothing to you. Tell me once and for all, are you engaged to him? This is like a few good men. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> and will you promise me never to enter into such an engagement? I will make no promise of the kind, and I but must beg you not to importune me any further on the subject. Not so hasty, if you please. I have another objection. Your right. youngest sister oh my is God. an elopement. <laughs> I know it all. Oh, it's a girl to be my nephew's oh, sister-in-law. Mm -hmm. Are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted? You can have nothing further hmm. to say. You have insulted me by every possible method. I must beg to return to the house. You, you have no regard, then, for the honour and credit of my nephew. Unfeeling, selfish girl. <laughs> you refuse to oblige me. You refuse the claims of duty, honour, gratitude. You are determined to ruin him and make him the contempt of the world. I am only resolved to act in a manner which will constitute my own happiness without reference to you or to any person so wholly unconnected with me. And this is your final resolve? Very well, I shall know how to act. <laughs> oh my I love God. this side off too. It's so oh, good. Just... I'll know. This is great. This is great. I take new leave of you, Miss Bennett. 
I send no compliments to your mother. You deserve no such attention. Shut the fuck and up. May God have mercy on your soul. I Fucking what's her oh, name just sitting Anne. in the car I know Anne just sitting in the you can turn it off now, Kato. Anne just sitting in the carriage. Mom just lose her shit on someone. Yeah, like, wait in the in car. Wait in the car, Natalie. I'm gonna go fuck up a young girl for a second. Yeah, real quick. I'll note Rob, there are church bells at the very top of that scene. It like rings three PM, so you do get the the like prize fight uh bell oh, is bell ringing. It's so good. Um God, yeah, what a scene. God. Um, there's so much here. There's so much here. I want to start really quick on the the question of where does the report come from, and then we can get into the deeper stuff because I just think yeah. So the thing I want to the thing I actually want to mention really quick is there is a book there is a book called Who Betrays Elizabeth Bennet: Further Puzzles in Classical Fiction, which is like a collection of like literary criticism of the sort that is not necessarily what I would the sort of literary criticism I'm interested in mm-hmm. um, uh, in which it's very close readings trying to like look at it's like I don't say it's like the cinema sins of what cinema of, sins oh don't you know what it's a Wait, bad what? YouTube channel <laughs> I'm so glad you have no idea this is not like the Final Fantasy 7 thing where I'm glad you haven't se- you haven't been subjected to the culture this is actually it's the exact same I'm glad you haven't been subjected to the contemporary culture cinema sins is a terrible YouTube channel that like counts all of the plot holes and oh. like continuity mistakes in Cinema movies, but they're not real. Sins. That's but the thing. they're not real. Who, they're fucking don't ter- actually pay close attention. Right, right. It's like I can't even think of one because my brain doesn't work that way because I don't have the worms in there. Uh, <laughs> and so, it, it, but but this this style of literary criticism, and it's not as bad. It's nowhere near as bad as Cinemasins. And in fact, in this case, it's kind of useful mm-hmm. um, because this particular book like goes through all of these questions. Uh, and I'm not going to read this whole thing, obviously, but. Um, uh, there is a puzzle under underlying this interesting tangle pointed out to me by Kathleen Glancy. How could there be a report in Maryton about anyone, much less one Mrs. one of Mrs. Bennett's daughters, getting married, which has not reached the ears of Mrs. Bennett herself? It can't have done. Um, I can't have done or her, her attitude to Darcy would have undergone its dramatic metamorphosis far sooner than it does. Her sister, Mrs. Phillips, can't have heard it either for she would have passed it on to Mrs. Bennet at once. Uh, it is all the more amazing because it is known to Sir William and Lady Lucas. Does such a report exist? Is Mr. Collins for heaven knows what reason lying when he informs Lady Catherine in conversation and Mr. Bennett by letter about Elizabeth's impending marriage to one of the most illustrious persons in the land? Or even more horrible, has Jane Austen blundered? Can the puzzle be made sense of? Miss Clancy asks. And the the writer of this piece goes on to kind of say, hey, maybe it's Charlotte Lucas. Maybe Mm. Charlotte intuited this by based on like the amount of time spent between Elizabeth and Darcy uh, and, and like points to the fact that there is a point early on in which Charlotte kind of senses it even maybe before Elizabeth does and kind of points out a kind of underlying attraction. There's subliminal attraction here. Yeah. Quote, I dare say you will find him very agreeable uh, as early as chapter 18. Um, bit by bit by bit. I will say another thing, which is maybe we're underestimating Lady Catherine's ability to read the situation based on factors at play. Maybe there was mm-hmm. no report, but she needs to say there was a report. Because she can't just speculate. She can't just speculate. But she's Lady Catherine, and she's going to like, she doesn't need a report to show up at your fucking house and start yelling at you. But 
she does need a report in the Cassis Belli sense, right? Like, uh, like Crusader Kings, she has placed a, 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 a minister in a different country to be like, give me an excuse to go to war. Please figure it out. I'm, I want this territory. I want to do a thing. But by law, I guess I technically need to say there was a report. Um, and that's my, my like fan read. And I don't think this is true necessarily, but she's well, very observant. I will say that, and I think this is one of the crucial things about this scene. In the past, we've seen Lizzie enjoys fucking with people. Yes. Like she likes needling people and she's doing it here, but actually in a more restrained way. She is not taking the fight directly to Lady Catherine. She's letting with evasions, uh, with elisions. She is letting Lady Catherine lose her cool and just go barreling out of control and over over the cliff of what is permissible, even for a Lady Catherine in polite society. Uh, and that in itself confers a degree of power, right? If you right. are the person who stays calm while somebody else like completely melts down, you are actually now in control of that encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are actually going to come out of that basically ahead yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like social currency. The other part of this, and I really liked the Crusader Kings analogy, <laughs> what, this, what this scene means is that like, Lizzie Bennet is realized what it what it might be to be a Darcy. Right. Like you were at a level of society where you're not just Lizzie Bennet, you're not just you, you are now in the game. Yeah. Uh of like, you know, weird court politics, uh weird like politics among wealthy families who like may have real rivalries or disdain for each other, but also it has to be kept polite. You will be and one of those who is your wife, who is your uncle people, whether you want to be or not. Right. And here she has demonstrated, I think previously in the book, like she has basically said, I don't care about any of that, which Mm -hmm. is why she's free to basically go like, you know, knives out for Darcy at points. She doesn't give a damn who any of you are. At this point, she has now seen enough and she's now got just enough, both empathy for, I think like what Darcy's reality has been for a lot of his life and also imagines herself now increasingly being part of that world Mm -hmm. that now she realizes I have to handle things like this differently. I have to like her goal here is to basically send Lady Catherine off with nothing uh, to needle her relentlessly, but also don't give in to anger and say anything you might regret. Make right. sure that the door is open that you might marry Darcy. Right. That she could then report back to Darcy that would disqualify her for marriage. But I think she genuinely feels – like she says this. She says that, you know, uh, to lose Lady Catherine as a connection would do her no disappointment. Like right. she she says to her, she does say I don't give a fuck if you never speak of me again. Like I – I think she has this confidence in if Darcy's the one, mm-hmm. then he's going he's going to take me for who I am. Right. Ride or die. Ride or die. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so you she, go on. Well, I, 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 I was just gonna say that if if Darcy were to hear about this, he already knows that that's the kind of reaction Elizabeth would have had. And so he, if he's the one, will accept that and is ready to let go. I mean, he said in the past that he knows that their 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 connections are, you know, unaligned and they're and and she doesn't have as many as his or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. And 
I genuinely think he's at a place where he doesn't really care. Um, or that she's hoping for that and she's looking for that confirmation. And I think his involvement with Lydia and Wickham points towards a, you know, points towards the, the idea that he is foregoing sort of those social norms in in hopes of, you know, pleasing and doing this for Elizabeth. There is an element here in which she also is defending Darcy um, that is maybe even a little stronger in the book. I mean, in the in the in the you know the show, there is this bit where where Catherine, Lady Catherine, you know, as she's getting in, in, at the carriage, uh, you're determined to ruin him and make him the contempt. Sorry, yeah, you are determined to ruin him and make him the contempt of the world. Um, I'm only uh, resolved to act in a manner which which consults my own happiness without reference to you or any other person so wholly unconnected to me. Uh, and this is your final resolve, says Lady Catherine. And like this is the like Elizabeth just looks up at her and like there's a degree of that that feels like. Um, that feels like you do, you're not in the right you're not in a position to tell me what would or wouldn't ruin him. And in the book, like Lady Catherine makes that makes that uh, that question of like, hey, you're gonna ruin him even more specific. She says, mm -hmm. like, you were determined to ruin him in opinion of all his friends and make him the contempt of all the world. And then Elizabeth does not just like kind of say, fuck off, you know, in, in the same way. Uh, she doesn't just she doesn't just say I've only uh, resolved to act in a manner which constitutes my own happiness. She says neither duty nor honor nor gratitude have any possible claim on me in the present instance. Like she's very clear about what is at stake mm -hmm. and what is not uh, a factor here. Nor uh, no principle of either would be violated by my marriage with Mister Darcy. In other words, like she does, she straight up says. Duty, honor, and gratitude don't have claim on me, but but also if it, if, if we were if I was my marriage with Mister Darcy wouldn't go effect, against those yeah. things. He yeah. will be safe. This will not. Uh, uh, and with regard to the resentment of the family or the indignation of the world, if the former were excited by his marrying me, it would not give me one moment's concern, and the world in general would have too much sense to join in the scorn. Mm -hmm. You're the only one who's going to feel this way. Yeah, like this. I think she's sorry. Go ahead, Rob. No, I just I just want to call attention. There's a, even a little more sharpshooting from Lizzie yeah. in mm -hmm. this yeah. way this goes in the book. Two things: when she brings up when Lady Catherine brings up the arrangement around uh, Andeberg, mm. uh, and explains now what do you say now that you know that you know uh, Darcy's mother and I planned this uh, from birth, and Lizzie's response is yes, and I heard it before, but what is that to me? If there's no other objection uh, to my marrying your nephew. I shall certainly not be kept from it by knowing that his mother and aunt wished him to marry Mr. Berg. You both did as much as you could in planning the marriage. Its completion depended on others. If Mr. Darcy is neither by honor nor inclination confined to his cousin, why is not he to make another choice? And if I am that choice, why may I not accept him? And I think, one, she's needling Lady Catherine really effectively, but I think there's something else that I like in the scene, which is that there's a key element of Lady Catherine in this portrayal uh, and in the way she's written in the book as identifying something really essential about, like, really rich people in the mm -hmm. twilight of their years and influence. Mm -hmm. One of the things that gives us, like, influence and power is that we're going to be around tomorrow, presumably, <laughs> and a month from now and a year from now. Like, you know, knock wood. But, like, the idea is when you're young – 
you're going to be around for a long time and everyone has to make plans. Like you are part of people's plans and calculations. As you age, um, you become in ways good and bad, less essential to the world. But there's, there's, there's no escaping this fact, right? Like as you become an older person, like people are beginning to plan for futures that do not include you. Right. And, and that is, that is a hard thing. It is a sad thing. In some cases it can be also a joyous thing, but it is the way of life. And most of us have to accept that reality because we're not that big a deal. We don't have a lot of means to impose our will on the world to begin with. Uh, and we certainly don't have the means to somehow dictate what will happen after we are gone. Uh, we are sort of forced to reckon with our own impermanence. Mm-hmm. Very wealthy people, and I think we see this a lot in our own time increasingly as well, um, have more avenues to sort of try to hold on to like relevance and importance and by so doing hold on to their position in life to hold on to what, what remains of their youth and lady Catherine, and I have some sympathy for, for her here. She is staring down the barrel of that. She is in, she is sort of an, an aging, uh, grand dom and, the younger generation is starting to move on without her. And what she, what sort of drives her through life is like a Mr. Collins is very pleasing because she can tell him what to do and he will do it and he will arrange his life in ways that please her. Mm-hmm. What's happening here is she's realizing whatever she planned out for Anne is not going to happen. Um, her plans for Darcy and Anne, she like, Darcy has outgrown her. He's no longer her nephew who he, he visits her out of duty, but not necessarily out of like a great enduring respect. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a part of what's happening in the scene is Lizzie's the one bringing Lady Catherine face to face with the realization that things are now out of her control. Right. Yeah. That feels very, you know, that feels very, uh, it feels, it feels a lot like, we're turning to a new age and Lady Catherine is like the last vestige of that and is just desperately clinging on. And, um, you know, in the way that Lizzie thinks of herself independent of other um, factors, other, um, you know, she says she has no obligations to, to people. Right outside of herself and she doesn't even i mean in the book i think there's probably more of this but in in the in the in the um in the show at least she's not necessarily even talking about herself and darcy she's she's really like the 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 Mm -hmm. the the tv show script really centers this moment around lizzie herself and it's not about uh a unit uh, or like a couple to be. It's about Lizzie's own yeah. happiness. Yeah. And, um, you know, her independence and her making choices based on herself. And, you know, if some of that comes from Jane, you know, securing the bag for the, for <laughs> for the, the fam, for yeah. the fam <laughs> like, sure. But at least in this moment, even, you know, when she's up against Lady Catherine, who is just a force of an- an- antiquity, um, she holds strong in, you know, and she holds like such a confidence in this like new age and this like new way of being this new 
way of society that is coming. And she also has confidence in herself and Darcy as equals. Like she specifically says, he is a gentleman and I'm a gentleman's daughter. Like we are equals for all intents and purposes. We are on the same playing field. Mm -hmm. So whatever sort of decorum and, 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 uh, um, additions you've put around yourself to 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 raise you know to to build Pemberley with with windows in the west or whatever the fuck like <laughs> that doesn't matter anymore like or at least it's not going to matter in the way that I move about this right, world right i think part of it also one of the things i, li- I like about the scene is that one it's a prize fight without a clear winner but what it does is set up the stakes for like where the knockout is and you know times changing rarely have a person a referee raising someone's hand and like you did it you won you did the thing like history moves at such a pace that victories are often only seen afterwards um and in this case the thing that lady catherine does is in imagining lizzie as an enemy and in imagining that there is a territory on which they fight she tells she fucks up by telling Lizzie how she can hurt her, which I don't think is Lizzie's goal in any way here. But if Lizzie was a Catherine, if if she was out to make Lady Catherine bleed, she would be like, and now I'm definitely going to marry Darcy. Yeah. I think it's a misplay. I think she's like Lady Catherine in sh- in trying to, to shore up her defenses on her mm-hmm. Western flank has shown that her Western flank is weak. Well, she says specifically that she will make no promise as to not right. enter an engagement right. with him. So she leaves her up in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, well, is... Lizzie doesn't fucking know. Lizzie isn't sure that Darcy, like to some degree, part of I think the strength that she gets in the scene is like, a word, Darcy's talking shit? All right, Darcy's talking about me. Like, Darcy, it's okay, if there's a rumor that Darcy's going to marry me again, all right, like, <laughs> let's go. If Darcy wants to marry me. I'll have a conversation. We'll have I'll that, take yeah, that always meeting. Always take the meeting. <laughs> always take the meeting. So I think that there's something really interesting about that element of this. Yeah. Wait, I just realized who betrayed Lizzie Bennet. Was who? it not Charlotte? No. Oh, no. Who? It's Colonel Fitzwilliam. It's Colonel Fitzwilliam. The worst wingman Darcy, in history. Darcy <gasps> writes to Fitzwilliam, yeah. letting him know, hey, great news. Uh, Charles Bingley is engaged to Jane Bennett. Uh, mm-hmm. And he may not even fully cop to more than that, but Fitzwilliam by this point is not a fool. Like, yeah. he knows the score. He's also in touch with Georgiana, who yep. almost certainly has like been like, oh, my God, I met Lizzie Bennett, mm-hmm. and she's Fitzy. the coolest, and my brother loves her. Like, And so Fitzwilliam... Being kind of a putz, like a very well-meaning <laughs> putz, but like he is, like he's very much, he's exactly the sort of man you would want leading like a grenadier assault on a position yeah. because mm-hmm. like sure. the thought of something disastrous happening probably doesn't occur to him. Right. He's like, follow me, man. <laughs> what can go wrong? But the the problem is that also means that he will naively write to Lady Catherine and just be like, hey, uh, just catch me up on like you know, here's what's happened this summer. I suspect that's even, probably how it plays out. Yeah, or just even drop it on a on a visit, like in yeah. casual conversation. Like yeah. I can see Lady Catherine asking prying questions. I mean, again, she's not a fool and has seen the way that Darcy and uh, Elizabeth have interacted with each other. She, you know, uh, this is a scene I've mentioned before, but when they were all at at um, Rosings. 
she calls over to them and and sees them, you know, in like in in not intimate, but in in a private discussion. And she's like, what are you guys talking about? Like she she like feels that something's going on and she wants to be a part of it. She wants to be in the know. She wants to like she wants to be aware. Yeah. She wants to be aware of of what how the pieces are moving around her. And I can see, you know, her sort of asking questions and and Colonel Fitzwilliam sort of letting letting the answers fall so carelessly. Well, you called out that, like, because I I foolishly thought when Lady Catherine was like, no, Lizzie, you should stay and I'll take you to London. Mm -hmm. I, like, thought, well, okay, Lady Catherine clearly has taken some kind of shine to Lizzie. And you, like, you, Natalie, were immediately like, I actually don't think that's what's going on. I think it's like keeping tabs on Lizzie. It is a form of control. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I do think, like, at the... at the jump, she did have a certain kind of curiosity in Lizzie mm-hmm. and like a confusion in that she, I feel like she like almost wanted to sort of shape her and groom her for, you know, a connection that she could make. Like, I feel like her interest in Lizzie was like, this is a very st- strong woman. And I want to have a hand in that because I yeah. don't I, I'm curious in her and I'm I like am interested, but I also want to to have control, like you said. And to take her to London with me would mean that I'm in charge of who she's making connections with. I'm the one hosting, I'm mm. the one bringing her with me. I'm I, you know, am the one moving the pawns around the board. And Lizzie's just not a fucking pawn. That's just like what it comes down to. I think this is like one of the reasons why, like we talked a little bit about this during our Emma show last week, but just to reiterate it here, these are some of the reasons why I believe that Lady Catherine is kind of a version of what Emma Woodhouse can turn into if her worst tendencies are not checked. Like Emma Woodhouse, we see a lot of these same sort of, they're more well-meaning and naive attempts to control and influence things around her, but they are nonetheless like, inappropriate and overbearing and part of the the stakes in Emma is is Emma going to grow out of this is Emma going to learn from this and stop being such a jerk to people around her right or and I think this is Lady Catherine if these things aren't curbed if you are just allowed to basically like money gives you the power and like money and privilege give you the power to basically like go kind of feral with your worst tendencies And I I think Lady Catherine kind of represents that. Totally. Totally. Well, and for me, and the thing that ends up being a frustration of mine, and I brought this up during Emma, but I'll I'll reiterate it here, is that the solution to those is to temper yourself on – with with your husband, right? Is it like, ah, yes, what you need is someone to bring you down to earth and a like, Mr. Her- Bennett to your Mrs. Bennett. Right. A Mr. Bennett to your Mrs. Bennett or – I, de- I mean like for for – for the the Austin I've read and the stories that I've heard via or, or you know seen via other shows and adaptations, mm-hmm. the the ideal version is a marriage that brings both people together, increases their best attributes, curtails their worst, and and that is put in opposition to an unfavorable marriage, uh, either of someone who has no concern for you or that makes all of your worst attributes even even Amplified, stronger. Yeah. Which actually I think the Mister and Mrs. Bennett is probably that more than anything that yeah. like n- none of what their worsts are. They both of them fall into their worst habits mm-hmm. uh, in opposition to each other often. Um, 
And I just I think that there's a universalizable message in which like, yes, find people in your life who can bring the best out of you. But I do wish that we saw that we saw that in relationships that were not only like hetero marriages. Harriet was never going to bring the best out of Emma, right? And and yeah. Jane cannot bring the best, or Charlotte cannot bring the best out of out of Lizzie in this book, right. and that's frustrating to me. Yeah, because I think that those relationships, I think especially Lizzie and Jane, have a great relationship. Yeah, but like the limits of what Lizzie's strengths are are only unlocked by way of this relation to Darcy and this this like her desire eventually to to play in that space. Yeah, I don't think she's learning much from Jane. Right. I don't think that she becomes more kind and or like in the in the way that Jane is. Like I don't think Lizzie becomes less assuming of the people around her or right which is what jane is jane right. jane is like her polar opposite jane sees the best in everyone mm-hmm. and wants to see the light in every single situation and lizzie's not not reducing any of the sort of her like observant <sighs> right. analytical nature she's just I don't know. There's I, no exchange between the two in that sense. And they're, like Jane they're a doesn't change. Board. And to be clear, it's good to have sounding boards too. And I'm yeah. not undercutting the message that like you need people in your life to be like, oh, fuck, too. Like, yeah. I think that, that is an important thing to also have in yeah. the story. But I just wish that there were other opportunities for self-improvement except for the good marriage. And I understand yeah. that that is also a political thing that she is doing in a moment at which a good marriage is a very rare and limited thing for mm-hmm. people of society in society. Like, mm-hmm. I, I want to understand the context is not line a good marriage and an advantageous marriage right and a shitty you know like all there's like so many yeah but rob what were you gonna say um i like i was gonna say that um to the point about jane not necessarily bringing out the the best in in lizzie i think to this adaptation's credit they make lizzie's evolution as a character less dependent on darcy than it is in the book true uh so interesting there's a line and I, we should have talked about this a couple episodes ago, but I hadn't read enough of the book yet. There is a line that has always struck me as a little bit weird, which is when Lizzie is relating to Jane the contents of Darcy's letter, Jane says, you could not have made such light of it as you do now. And Lizzie's response is, no, till that moment, I never knew myself, which has always struck me as way too dramatic a line for like, even as even as loaded as that letter Mm -hmm. was, it always struck me as way too dramatic. But actually, that is a quote from Lizzie's internal monologue after reading the letter, where what the letter drives home to her is the degree to which the fact that Darcy's initial snubbing of her hurt her vanity Mm -hmm. and Wickham's flattery of her satisfied her vanity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then she was so convinced in her own intelligence and powers of perception that because she had these two reactions to these two different men she then created a whole lot of justifications to support why she liked one and hated the other Mm -hmm. when it really did boil down to one snubbed me and the other paid attention to me And so the letter sort of leaves her reeling because it makes her realize that she is actually as vulnerable to emotional reactions as anyone else. But she alloys them with sort of, uh, you know, uh, post, you know, post facto rationalizations Mm -hmm. for for why she feels a way. Uh, And I and I do appreciate that this adaptation doesn't center that letter quite so much. 
mm-hmm. and the way it sort of leaves Lizzie feeling chastened. Uh, but I do think it opens up this a little bit of this gap, which is like yeah. who is in the series bringing out the best in, well, in Lizzie. This was Natalie one of your biggest one of the biggest conversations we've had in the series is like what changes Lizzie, mm-hmm. and the the show it feels like there is a gap there. It does feel yeah. like, and it's because in the book, the letter is a big part of what changes Lizzie. Yeah, a big that part is of what, like, like the the self realizing turn. Yeah, it's like the catalyst for her to be like, ah, fuck. And so in the show, you're right, Rob, I think that there is not anywhere near as much uh, focus put on that as it, because they want it to feel more like this is just a matter of slow reflection and contemplation, mm-hmm. which is also on the table. I think, as a real thing that people do and change slowly over time through yeah. a, a whole factor of things. Yeah. That's just not quite how dramatic re- adaptations yeah. Of, yeah. of literary works just, work. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, just a quick thing. I want to say one thing about Lady Anne de Berg real uh-huh. quick. So I think the seri- this series doesn't do her much justice. She is literally just kind of a piece of yeah. furniture in the scenes looking. Um, they've done bad makeup on her and she's like constantly like sniff- sniffling or something just to like show, show how feeble she is, etc. Uh, in the book, what's interesting enough is that we're not given much evidence that she's actually that sickly. In right. fact, Charlotte... And, uh, like, Charlotte notices, and so does, uh, like, Mariah, that Lady Anne is constantly, like, whipping up and down those country roads in uh, a Phaeton, which is, like, a sports car version of a carriage. Like, you have a full, like, Hmm. a proper carriage has, like, the four walls and the roof, and that's, like, your sedan for, like, traveling long distances. But, like... The Phaeton is more like a convertible, right? It's low, it's faster, right. um, and it's Lady Anne driving it. She, yes, she has her uh, nurse, her governess, but like the depiction in the book is Lady Anne doesn't actually seem to give a shit about anything except like tearing ass around Rosings <laughs> in her sports car. And I think something that is underplayed here is that in this, we see Anne as just this completely passive creature. Like, oh, you know, she's just waiting for Darcy to marry her, but it's never going to happen. And, you know, sucks for her. But in the book, I think there's some reason to think that she's done the calculation. She doesn't need to get married. Yeah. Rosings isn't entailed away. All this is going to be hers. And she just likes being a rich kid, uh, you know, doing as she likes around mm-hmm. Rosings. And so I think... The series is a little unfair to Anne because I think it portrays her as the rest of the world sees Anne. But uh-huh. I think in the book, there's a little bit of evidence that, like, Anne, as a lot of women do in the series, has figured out how can I best achieve independence. Mm-hmm. And for Anne, the qu- the answer is different. It is, like, don't necessarily, like, ignore the game completely. Like, yeah, like, let people make whatever plans they want. But in the meantime, do nothing to actually take part in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you end up sort of being left out, well, you're left out with all your money and your independence. Right. Yeah. Wait, would Rosings go to Darcy? Why no. wouldn't Rosings go to Darcy? Because entailment is, it's an estate by estate thing. So the rules of Longbourn are that it is entailed to the male line. Not every title has, this is, okay, so if you played Crusader Kings, uh-huh. There are different in forms of inheritance. There are different inheritance laws. And sometimes those are nationally like ap- appointed, like to be in France, this is how yeah. all land is inherited. Uh-huh. But in general, the way it works is some estates follow different legal traditions. 
than others. And so in one estate, you might say, for whatever reason, only male heirs can inherit this estate. That's Longborn's situation. Rosings, uh, by all implication, it is perfectly fine for, uh, you know, for the, the the female line to continue to hold the estate. Interesting. Yeah. Real quick, I just want to read the very end of this, uh, the who betrayed uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth Bennet bit, because uh, there is a, a case made here for Charlotte that I think is, if not effective, at least fun to hear. So I'm just going to read this, this section. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, the next scene in the mm-hmm. show is a letter from Mr. Collins, mm-hmm. right? So, let which me, is what makes this well. So yeah, let me set, interesting set yeah. this up, and we can talk about that letter. Yeah, um, I already said the first part that Charlotte was quick to perceive a subliminal attraction early on, but over the years, Charlotte has had to put up with many slights from the Bennets. In Chapter Five, Mrs. Bennett, recalling the glories of the ball, complacently tells her, "You began the evening well, Charlotte," said Miss Bennett with a, with a civil self command to Miss Lucas. "You were Mr. Bingley's first choice." Yes, but he seemed to like his second better, says Charlotte. Oh, you mean Jane, I suppose, because he danced with her twice. To be sure, that did seem as if he admired her. Indeed, I rather believe he did. Women as clever as Miss Lucas do not forget these things. Charlotte is off stage for the second half of the novel, disposed of in the great marriage auction. But simply because she is not seen, we should not imagine that she is getting less clever or less sharp having to dine every evening with the Reverend Mr. William Collins and the Right Honorable Lady Catherine de Bourgh would turn a saint's milk of human kindness to vinegar. What we may assume Mm. is that an embittered Charlotte is determined to settle accounts with Elizabeth. She will poison Elizabeth's prospects with a preemptive strike that she knows will provoke an outburst of the young woman's incorrigible prejudice. It is a stroke of well-conceived malice. It fails, but only just. Holy shit. It's a fucking good. I, I think it's That's wrong, great, yeah. but I like it. It's I, yeah. extremely well written and extremely fun to read. That's really so, fun. Final thing before we move on from the scene. It's yeah. actually not about the scene. It's just a piece of self-characterization from the book uh, by Liz, on Lizzie's part when she's writing to Mrs. Gardner after Wickham begins pursuing Miss King. Right. And she realizes that she doesn't actually give a damn that he's chasing this other woman. Um, mm-hmm. And that makes her realize that like – uh, she was attracted, but she wasn't actually in love with the guy. It didn't matter that much to her. But she says, uh, my watchfulness has been effectual. And though I should certainly be a more interesting object to all my acquaintance were I distractedly in love with him, I cannot say that I regret my comparative insignificance. Importance may, be, may sometimes be purchased too dearly. Mm. And I think this is another thread running through the story and through uh, Lizzie's character. I think at the start, she's very, she is content not being important, not being a character. But I think what's identified here is that there are points in your life where you are important. Uh, the, you know, there are points where like something's happening in your life where you realize, oh, there's a story that I'm a part of. And for whatever reason... I'm actually the protagonist here. And there are people like discussing my actions, discussing like who I'm like, it's very high school, right? Or college. Like when you realize that uh, there's, there's a tension on you for, for some sort of connection. And I think what's interesting here is that at the start, Lizzie says, you know, Oh, I don't, I don't really mind not being an important character in any of this. And one of the things that like from the moment Darcy declares himself, one of the things that is undeniable and it comes up again and again in Lizzie's internal monologue is that 
she is kind of flattered by the attention that her mattering to Darcy makes her matter. And I think this is sort of the, the foundation for some of what we see in this, in this sort of clash with, uh, with Lady Catherine and in some of her own miffed reaction to her father here, uh, this notion that actually she is the important party here. Mm -hmm. And this, these events do concern her a great deal. And I think that's why she's a little brusque with uh, Mr. Bennett when he thinks the entire thing is hilarious. Uh, Natalie, you want to take us through this, uh, this scene? I would love to. Uh, So Lizzie, uh, returns in to the house and Mr. Bennett comes out. This all happens so fast. Like, I just don't understand how information is moving so fast, which is why the the question of who betrays Lizzie is, like, so fascinating to me because everything is just happening so fast. But anyway, uh, Lizzie comes back into the house and Mr. Bennett comes out of his um, office and uh, 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 beckons Lizzie in, and they sit down and uh, talk about you know the this letter that Mr. Bennett has received from Mr. Collins, um, and he, the the letter says uh, it first starts off with uh, you know congratulating Mr. Bennett on Jane's engagement to Mr. Bingley. Um, but then he goes on to to talk about, uh, he says this, Your daughter Elizabeth, it is presumed, will not long bear the name of Bennett after her eldest sister has resigned it and the chosen partner of her fate may be reasonably looked up to as one of the most illustrious personages in the land. Um, that's a really strange way of wording it. Um, but basically saying, very Mr. Collins, very Mr. <laughs> Collins, but basically saying that, oh, I hear Lizzie's soon going to give up her, her last name for someone else's. Um, and sounds like a hot shot. <laughs> um, and then obviously he's referring to Mr. Darcy and has, and, and Mr. Bennett this whole time as he's like going through the letter is like looking up at Lizzie and, and waiting for that sort of. Um, that the, the same sort of giddiness and and laughing in spite of and making fun of, you know, sort of uh, banter that they've had mm-hmm. before. and and he's just not getting it from Lizzie. and he, he he's like he keeps reading through and looking up at her and like expecting sort of her to laugh at at this letter with him, and she's just not laughing. And, um, and and almost feigns laughter at one point just to sort of satisfy him. And uh, and then Mr. Bennett says, you know, well, the letter, uh, Colin says, like, I must caution you for Lady Catherine de Bourgh does not look on the match with a friendly eye. And, um, and you know, uh, uh, Mr. Bennett is like, Are, aren't you, aren't you diverted? Like, isn't this, isn't this funny? And, and Elizabeth is like, yeah, it's fine. It's whatever. It's like, <laughs> I'm kind of caught feelings for him now. So this is kind of weird. And I haven't told you about it yet. Um, and, uh, Mr. Bennett is like, y- you don't seem to be, you know, at, on my level right now. Like, I don't know why we're not both just, t- just relishing in this, 
in this uh, in this just Mr. Collins fuckery. And Elizabeth is like, you know, yeah, it's it's funny. It's just weird. It's it's weird <laughs> and, <laughs> and stuff. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Um, but Mr. Bennett is like basically like. Uh, 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 says something really funny actually at the end and says but pray what said Lady Catherine de Berg I suppose she came to refuse her consent and um, says well well what so we live for but to make sport for our neighbors and laugh at them in our turn and kind of like <laughs> and gestures towards the spectacle of it all and, and it's just like such a relatable moment of like this like dramatic event happening in the garden and then like a, like gesturing towards the fact that anyone could have heard this shit go down. Like they have neighbors. Yeah. Like it's like you know anyone could have heard heard Lady Catherine getting it getting her ass handed to her by the by the <laughs> words mm -hmm. of Lizzie Bennet. And it's just like a funny thing to think about because these feel like such private spaces, but they're not necessary. I mean, like we don't know what's next to Longbourn. We don't like get to see that. But anyone driving by would have seen, you know, this ostentatious carriage in mm -hmm. the driveway or whatever. And it's like, hmm, I wonder what's going down at Longbourn. That's a nice ass carriage. I hear some yelling in the back. Lizzie's out there. Oh, got to be Lizzie, you know, stirring up trouble again. Um, but it's just it's a it's a weird scene because clearly there's a disconnect here between uh, Mr. Bennett and Lizzie, a disconnect that yeah. he was not expecting and is just kind of baffled at. And the fact that Lizzie is kind of just almost like just indulging him in the most like, like half ass, like, yeah, it's whatever. It's fine. There's context in the book here that we just don't get, which is that Lizzie is shook. After the Lady Catherine stuff. Mm -hmm. um, at the beginning of chapter 57, before the conversation with Mr. Bennett, Lizzie is like caught up thinking like, oh shit, she's going to go talk to Darcy. Um, uh, Austin writes, in revolving Lady Catherine's expressions and thinking them over, right, and going mm -hmm. over them over and over. However, she could not help feeling some uneasiness as to the possible consequences of her persisting in this interference. Mm. From what she had said of her resolution to prevent their marriage, it occurred to Elizabeth that she must uh, meditate an application to her nephew and how he might take a similar representation of the evils attached to a connection with her she dared not pronounce. She knew not the exact degree of his, of Darcy's affection for his aunt or his dependence on her judgment, but it was natural to, to suppose that he thought much higher of her ladyship than she, than Lizzie, could do. Uh, and it was certain that in enumerating the, miser the miseries of marriage with one whose immediate connections were so unequal his own, mm -hmm. his aunt would address him on his weakest side with his notions of dignity. He would probably feel that the arguments, which to Elizabeth had appeared weak and ridiculous, mm -hmm. contained much good sense and solid reasoning. If he had been wavering before as to what he should do, which he had often seen, which had often seemed likely, the advice and entreaty of such of such of so near a relation might settle every doubt and determine him at once to be as happy as dignity unblemished could make him. In that case, he would return no more. 
Lady Catherine might see him uh, her way through town uh, and his engagement to Bingley of, uh, of coming again to Netherfield must give way. And then she says, if therefore an excuse for not keeping his promise should come to his friend within a few days, I shall know how to understand it. I shall then give over every expectation, every wish of his, of his constancy. If he is satisfied with only regretting me, when he might have obtained my, affect- my affections and my hand, I shall soon cease to regret him at all. And so she is like in her feelings. That's fascinating. Going into the scene. Uh, and then this in, in, in this, in the book, at the end of the chapter, at the end of chapter 57, it's like, it's very clear why she is the way she is. Uh, it says to this question, to the question of like, did she call to refuse her consent? Yeah. Uh, to, to this question, his daughter replied only with a laugh as if it had been asked without the least suspicion. She was not dis- uh, She was not distressed by his repeating it. Elizabeth had never been more at a loss to make her feelings appear what they were not. It was necessary to laugh when she would rather have cried. Her father had most cruelly mortified her by what he said of Mr. Darcy's indifference. And she could do nothing but wonder at such a want of penetration or fear that perhaps instead of his seeing too little, she might have fancied too much. And it's like, yo, a, a second ago I was in my room next to tears being like, M- Lady Catherine is going to go talk to Mr. Darcy yeah. and convince him not to fuck with me. Yeah. And now you were out here talking about how Mr. Darcy doesn't want to fuck with anybody. Like, yeah. not right now, dad. <laughs> Chill, please. That's fascinating to me because that paints such a different picture of the argument that Lizzie with of the showdown because mm-hmm. that to me seems like this Lizzie the book Lizzie must have been so much more emotional like she must have felt so much more mm-hmm. impulsive oh, and, yeah. and combative in that situation than the than the show uh, Elizabeth where we see her as like calm cool there's that one moment where she She's, her voice like flutters that one moment yeah, I'm like oh I've been there yeah it's like it's like it's all in her but she's like she's contained and in control and like letting her emotions show through but in a way that she's like delivering on them not like letting them go and like letting you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it is very like uh um um what's the word i'm looking for like channeled like she's Mm -hmm. channeling her emotions in a way that she feels will be effective um but in in the book clearly like this is more of of this is such an emotional, you know, sequence of events, one after another. This is this whole conversation is actually making me think a little more kindly of the movie, the two thousand five movie, uh, because <laughs> if let me let me let me just point this out. Natalie's posing. I, Natalie's dancing. I think time to start dabbing. Um, oh God! I it's twenty nineteen. <laughs> One of the things I think you and I, Austin, are both sort of gleaning as we effectively reread this yeah. book uh-huh. via excerpt yeah. uh, is that there is a lot of turbulent emotion underneath the surface here. And this adaptation, I think, correctly makes the decision to leave it mostly implied yeah. mm-hmm. that most of these characters present as they would in society, right, with emotion suppressed. Uh, intention disguised, uh, trying to master their emotions. And then the performers make the decision to show just enough cracks in the facade to imply what is underneath. But you can only imply so much. And there are places in the book where there's actually like a real like storm of emotion under the surface. And I think in the 2005 version, both because of the brevity of the adaptation uh, but also because it is just a choice, like that version, I think, chooses to focus more about what 
what is underlying and motivating the characters and have that expressed on the surface. And so you get yes. this more windblown, uh, you know, tumultuous uh, version of Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. where uh, Lizzie and Darcy are both on the verge of tears in, in places and ecstasy in yeah. others. It's impressionistic, uh, right? Like, yeah. It's yeah. like it yeah. wants to communicate the the tempest of emotions that they are not actually speaking aloud. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a fair adaptation choice. I think it's a it's an interesting way to do that sort of adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um it's just not it's not my favorite, but I do yeah. I think that's a really smart read. I give you I give you credit I, on it. Okay. I think um <laughs> the other thing that it just does emphasize the degree to which <sighs> condescension superiority makes you kind of oblivious and foolish. Um, Mr. Bennett, like to me, it's just is astonishing that he's like, look at this hilarious letter I got from Mr. Collins. Boy, what a wild and like random thing to take into your head. This guy's like, what a dumbass this guy is. And it's like, dude, Lady Catherine was just here and they a were in the ago. garden for like, yeah. And they were in the garden for like 20 minutes, like yelling at each other. Yeah. And like, yeah. I don't know if the neighbors heard it's, or it's, it's the countryside, but they were certainly only like 30 yards from your office. Um, and he just doesn't, he doesn't read it. He doesn't see it because I think the other part of this is, you know, when y'all were talking a moment ago about how he and Mrs. Bennett brought out the worst in each other and they actually confirmed in each other their worst tendencies. He's basically emotionally disengaged from just about everything and can't imagine, he can no longer imagine or empathize with like, Anything that Lizzie might feel, because anything she might feel is as someone fully invested as an emotional participant in life, and that's just not who he is or has been for a while. Um, and I think that makes him especially unintentionally cruel here, mm-hmm. uh, because he, he can only find this funny and can't imagine that for someone else, this is actually pretty serious. Yeah, it's like, just f- stop being such a fuck for like 20 <laughs> seconds and feel something. Mm-hmm. Like just be a fucking human being and stop being like so on your highest. Mr. Bennett is on like the highest horse of anyone in this fucking book because he it just he is so irreverent to everything. Mm-hmm. Everything around him does not fucking matter to him. It is a game. It's just his wife, Lady Catherine, Mr. Collins, his daughters, everything around him is just like it's it's for him it's just fodder for him to to make fun of. Well like and in some ways that makes him the opposite of Lady Catherine, right? He's mm-hmm. like I'm going to die soon. Cool. I hope everyone hope it works out. Yeah. Like, like I like at this point, obviously Jane is is settled, right? The situation yeah. with Jane is fixed. Yeah. But even like but before he had no this, fucking hand. In no, that. of course yeah. not. And he was and he wasn't that interested. in Yeah. Playing he the, wasn't the like game. Jane. You should. Right. And yeah. so like and yeah, like it is this. It is this. You know, if if her if she if Lady Catherine is driven to being the person she is because she feels her grip slipping from from the world and her her control slipping, he is like, we can't control anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just gonna like turn it all into a joke, yeah, and that's how I'm gonna deal with this. And it shows it weirdly shows the exact same degree of of uh, disinterest in mm-hmm. the the lives of others and the consequences for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do like that, uh, and this is implied heavily in the final shots of this uh, of this series. But there is a p- there's a bit in the middle of this book 
where they basically lay out Lizzie's view, where, where Austin basically lays out how Lizzie views her parents' marriage. Mm-hmm. And basically she knows the backstory was her mother was, and we don't see it in this right, version so right. much, but her mother was and still is a great local beauty. Um, that like Mrs. Bennett was a highly desirable uh, young woman uh, in, you know, in her youth. And Mr. Bennett was moved by that. He was attracted to the, the you know, gorgeous, uh, the, you know, the gorgeous woman from town and deceived himself about who she really was in the way that, like, you know, it is very easy to see virtue in people you find appealing for whatever reason uh, mm-hmm. without fully seeing the whole of their character. And then they get married and they realize they're entirely incompatible. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that's like really spelled out here is that Lizzie is deeply sensible to the fact that he is a bad husband, that he is not responsive emotionally yeah. um, or even physically, that he is just effectively absent, absent himself from this marriage. And it has been a deeply cruel and cowardly thing to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, as as a person and as a husband. And so I, I think, you know, with, with Mr. Bennett, you always have to bear in mind uh, that one, and I didn't realize how clear it is made in the book uh, that he is, in fact, kind of a trash husband. Oh, yeah. Uh, and a trash, a trash person <laughs> in terms of how he interacts with a lot of people in his life. Uh, but also, he's a very disappointed man. Right. Like mm-hmm. this is he 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 screwed up one of the biggest decisions you can make with your life. And it's not revocable the way it is now. Right. Like divorce right. is hardly a thing yeah. in this era. Um, and so he has kind of you got you got to imagine like, you know, by the time he's in his mid 30s, he's realized, well, my life is awful. Time to just live a life of the mind and retreated from it entirely. And that's a bad decision. But I do think, like, it comes from this really, like, bleak place uh, about what happens when two people totally mismatched or stuck together. Sure. But marriage is a partnership. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't like the person, I mean, okay, this is not 2019. This is whatever. Uh Um, You're not speaking. I'm not not speaking to, to marriages today. But in this time, a marriage is a partnership. You have a household. You have uh, children. You, even if you don't feel affection for your significant other, you work together in some capacity yeah. to better the lives of your offspring, to run the household, to whatever. Mr. Bennett is like the most absent fucking figure mm-hmm. in in this family unit as the patriarch in a patriarchal society, <laughs> step the fuck up. Step the fuck up. <laughs> Be an ally. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I, and it's just, he sucks. He sucks. And there's no reason that he should like suck so much. He should just be better. Just do better. Just be the, just put 1% of effort. I guess the 1% was seeing Bingley at the at the jump and then he's like all right check I'm done for the novel that's my that's my <laughs> one that's my one piece of effort that's my one act and I'm I'm checked out for the rest of the shit so it just it like yeah it frustrates me because he could he could do more while still being you know you find your own happiness 
Mm-hmm. And the way that he's found his own happiness is just so it's so cruel and selfish and uh and and he's just not an agent in the lives of the people that he affects and that sucks to me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um I think we already took a break with yesterday right before the the we did. Catherine fight so I think I we're going to go quick, to the I need to run to the bathroom real quick and then all right we will we will take a quick break as austin absents himself from this podcast the way mr bennett has absent himself from longborn no (laughs) uh, but uh, but i've never austin will come back i will be back in five in three minutes same all right right. you could just say it straight up we don't have to we don't have to massage this you can just say straight up so we were about to take a break but instead what we did was talk for talk for three more hours, and so what we're going to need to do is cut this into two episodes. Yeah, I can also do well, that. I think Austin just record. I think you just did. I think I just did. <laughs> I had to do it again really quick. So you have to also do. I really music and yeah. Music and all that. Oh wait, do you have to? Yeah, I guess you do. So you still have that in front of you. I'm going to let you do that. I can. I can also just do it like right on the heel of what you just said. Yeah. Okay. All right. That will conclude this installment of Be Good and Rewatch It. Music is by Tumelo, whose work you can find at tumelomakes.bandcamp.com. You can also follow Tumelo on Twitter at Mellomakes. You can keep up with everything we do at waypoint.vice.com and follow us on Twitter at waypoint. Be sure and check out our other podcast feed, Waypoint Radio, to hear us talk about video games and other cultural and political topics. I don't remember what we recently did on that feed at the time of this listening, (laughs) or what will be timely uh, when you hear this message. As always, please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice, and let the world know about these five-star podcasts with five-star runtimes and excellent podcasting discipline. We'll be back with something uh-huh. else on Be Good and Rewatch It. The second part of this. The other, ep- the other, the remainder. Beep boop. You're all robots Spoilers now. will be part of the discussion. Oh my God. As will letters. <laughs> you can catch it all on Waypoint Radio and on Be Good and Rewatch It. Five star podcast, five star run times. Let's get it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's our new motto. I love it. Five-star podcast, five-star runtimes. Great. Five-star lunches, please. (laughs) Uh, Top of the minute? Sure. We need another one. There was a solid second between those. Um, uh, 13? Sure. Maybe there's just a really nice. bad delay today. Yeah, just, God. Rob. Bye.
I'll sync it. No worries. Wait, okay. hold on. I'm going to say something and then see how long it takes Rob to say something. Rob. Yes. Okay, that feels way faster. Qu- go as quickly as you can. Ready? Rob. Yes. Okay, yeah, there's yeah. like a second. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good to know. Okay. Love our bad internet. Why right, does it say go. my clock is 27 seconds behind? It probably is. Wow, that sucks. <laughs> That's great. Mm-hmm. That's great stuff. I read a real saddle real is a color, right? I th- maybe. I mean, just think of what a saddle is. That has a color on it, and that's the color of a saddle. Uh, real quick from my friend uh, uh, from their private. I'm losing my mind at these Pride and Prejudice Waypoint podcasts. I want this exact show every week forever. <laughs> very Aww, sweet. That's very, very sweet. sweet. I was surprised how many emails we got out of this. I'm not. Um, this is an underserved audience. It did resonate. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. We yeah. serve right. the Austin audience. That's it. 